This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. Holy cow, you made it another week. Congratulations. This is the show where uh, we, you know, we do what we can to help you get through the week without, you know, give you some information, hopefully help you along the way, not hurt you. No harm, no foul. Yes, we try to do no harm on this show. (laughs) Even though many times we may, Eh. unintentionally. Today, uh, though... Them's are the breaks. Them's are the breaks. We will be discussing a very easy topic to discuss, health care. It's not complicated at all. We've heard that multiple times. It's easy. <laughs> it's one of it's got to be one of the most complicated things the government is trying to do because everyone has a position and there are 500 solutions. Well, 500 solutions for every problem. Yes, there in you the healthcare world. So, how do you handle it? How do we tackle it? We will be talking uh, with an expert from the University of Chicago that's going to um, give us some other ideas and maybe some places where Republicans and Democrats could agree, where they might be able to... Death panels? <laughs> yeah, they don't, I don't think they agree. Oh, that. okay. Because I... they're not death panels. Right. That's a really negative way to frame it. It's a way of consulting with you about end-of-life decisions. Yes. With a panel. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. I'm not sure how that actually panned out at the end, but... Uh, speaking of death panels, um, this is a hard transition. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> Michael Flynn may is seeking immunity. Yes, and then he would talk to Congress if he had immunity. Right, which is weird because a few months ago he made a comment about immunity. The very last thing that John Podesta just said is no individual too big to jail. That should include. People like Hillary Clinton, I mean, five people around her have had have been given immunity to include her former chief of staff. When you are given immunity, that means that you've probably committed a crime. Huh? Hmm. Weird. Was that your Tim Allen impersonation? I don't know what that was. Oh? Was that Yogi Bear? Who's, who does that? There's a cartoon that does that. Raggy? Oh, no, it's going to be Scooby Doo, Raggy? Who's Raggy? Raggy? Isn't that what he says? No. What does he say? Shaggy. Well, he doesn't. Say no, the dog. Oh, say shaggy. that's true. Work with me, son. I'm a highly trained professional. I watched the more refined yeah, Scooby Doo. You watched the new, the, the later ones. So uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to address this Trump thing because it's getting weirder and it's always weirder getting weirder and They're, weirder. And and as I keep hearing people say, and you can read it in multiple places. It's because they continue to not tell you the whole story. Oh, well, there's not a story. Well, they say there's no story. They say you're too caught up on you'll, process. You'll hear in the press conferences from uh, Sweaty Sean Spicer. Sweaty, he's still, yeah, he's still just perspiring like crazy up there. But he he says we don't have to tell you these things. Like the simple yeah. thing, if you had uh, Representative Nunez, right, House Intelligence Committee. He went on to the White House grounds. The mm-hmm. rules are someone in the White House needs to say, you can come in. You just can't walk well, in. Somebody, yeah, somebody has to sponsor the thing he's going to look at, right? So, so there, there has to be – Well, even getting through the gate. Yeah. So they're like, who, who, who signed him in? And he said, well, 
we're not going to talk. We're not. We're looking into that. It's an ongoing oh, process. Boy. It's like you make a phone call. They tell you because you're senior staff. Everyone does what you tell them. That's what the benefit of senior staff of the White House is. Mm-hmm. And it was three days, and he still wasn't, you know, now forthcoming the, with that. And now they're finding out that two, two advisors uh, in yep. the White House were the ones that were that signed him in that were sponsoring all this. And helped him find the information. Allegedly, no one's confir- No one from the White House has confirmed this. Oh no, because yeah. they're not going to talk about any story where things are talked about. I got a crazy yesterday. question about the whole thing. Where's Kellyanne Conway? Oh, she's she's there. She's where, where working is she? behind the scenes. Do you She'll occasionally you, sit to the side of those press. Do you remember when she was doing like three or four interviews a day? Yeah. Do you, where, where is she? Do you miss her? I miss Kelly. One of those behind the scenes. Alternative facts. Multiple there you go. sources type stories said that they found that it's easier if she's just not talking anymore. There's a lot of complications when she gets out there and just starts it's getting crazy, launching bombs at people. We'll talk about that. I'm sure in the headlines, just a lot to cover today. Um, we may do a little mind bender, depending on how much time we have after tackling and solving the healthcare problem. We can't solve everything, but today I'm pretty sure we'll solve the healthcare problem. I think what you'll walk away from that interview with. Is finding how just how complicated it is. It is no, it's it's complicated. And then depending on what, and then the idea they tried to do it in a month. Yeah, what they tried to you know rewrite the what they're saying it's like a sixth of our economy. Yeah, in a month. Well, but makes sense. They they had eight years to think about it, <laughs> which oh, they didn't think about <laughs> it at all. Apparently, it's more complicated than that. But then who knew? Who knew it was this complicated? Everyone? You think? Absolutely everyone? I think we all understand that. It's complicated. Oh. All right. We'll get to all that fun. By the way, it's um, also Crayola Crayon Day. I, ha- I have an update. Yeah, we did the story yesterday about yeah. they're going to remove some colors. Are you going to tell us which ones? Well, there's one they're removing. They're announcing today which one they're going to put back in its place. Oh, good. So we'll find that a out new later. Color. So this will be a two-part story. Excellent. This is yeah. great. Plus, it's World Backup Day. Yes. Jeff's backing up right now. Oh, he's backing up the system. I feel like Does R2-D2 is about to come out. See, this is the sound it makes every time I back up my computer, and I don't know if this is... Does that, does that sound normal? No. Nope. This isn't the sound that no. yours makes when you back it up? When I back up, it's like beep, 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 beep. Hmm. That's when I back up the car. We'll take a we'll, you, we'll you take a, a look at World Backup Day. You have an too. OSHA dinger, I think they call oh, yeah. them, on the back of your I, so your I don't car. hit somebody. They come standard on Hondas. That yeah, they, they do. <laughs> okay, it's really embarrassing. I don't know how to turn it off. It's so embarrassing. Check your owner's manual; it's probably in there. Get your get your stuff backed up today. Today's the day. Yeah, back up your phone. Back it up. My phone will annoyingly tell me your phone hasn't been backed up in twenty four days. Thanks. <sighs> what a great phone! I can't even get mine to back up. And I just. Delete it and start over. Yeah, why do we try? Why do we try? But it is Friday, folks, so get ready. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Stick with us. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? So we have this debt ceiling thing coming up. You know, the budget, if we can actually pay our that debts as a thing. country. Congress plans to deal with the uh, avoiding a shutdown the week of April 24th, meaning they'll push it off until the last minute and give themselves five days to avoid the shutdown. Oh, good. Smart. Yeah, so April 24th, they have a bunch of uh, breaks coming in with Easter and everything. So they're going to have five work days to actually solve the debt crisis yet again. 
and they'll probably shut down the government and fight over it. Uh, two White House officials assisted in getting intelligence reports to Representative Devin Nunez last week. It showed members of President Trump's team were initially caught up in foreign surveillance, New York Times reports. Nunez says the night before he spoke with Trump, he received a phone call from the whistleblower who met with him on White House grounds. Nunez has repeatedly said he will not reveal who gave him the information. And the Times report that it came from a guy named Ezra Cohen-Watnick, Senior Director for Intelligence at the National Security Council, and Michael Ellis, a lawyer working on national security issues at the White House Counsel's Office. The House Intelligence Committee is conducting what is supposed to be an independent investigation into meddling by Russia into the 2016 presidential election. The White House uh, spokesman, Sean Spicer, initially said this didn't come from the White House. It makes no sense. Why would this come from the White House? And then it came from the White House. So we're uh, not sure what that means. Ezra Cohen-Watnick, right? He is the, uh, as it says, Senior Director for Intelligence. He's like uh, in every single administration office in the government. Uh, that is under the executive branch. The Trump administration put a number two in there yeah. to the secretary. This is the number two to, um, uh, I just forgot the guy's name. It was Flynn before. Oh, uh, Kelly. Is it Kelly? It's not Kelly. It's the guy that sounds like an action figure. I forgot his name. I remembered off the top Thor? of my head. No, it, I don't know. But put the new guy in. Uh, He-Man. The guy that replaced Michael Flynn, right? So yeah. he, he comes in and says, I don't want this guy here. So he transferred him to something else. That guy called... Uh, Manafort, not Manafort, what's his name? Uh, Priebus? Bannon. Bannon. Forgetting names here. So this guy calls Bannon, says, hey, this guy's trying to fire me. Bannon talks to Trump. Trump McMaster, that's the guy in the National Security. So Trump calls McMaster's, the National Security guy that replaced Flynn, and tells him, I override you transferring this guy. Uh This guy's the guy that's handing out, you know, Tips By the way, to the uh, Congress, so. McMaster's a like a general, four-star general, wasn't right. he? So yeah. he's he wants to get rid of this and guy. Part of the deal when McMaster's came in is he wanted to say who he worked with, right? So he made the first move to have that say, and Trump overrode him. Well, and apparently, I don't know if it's this guy, but all of these Trump overrode. It is this guy, yeah. Trump. But this guy doesn't. He's only thirty-something years yeah. old. Which I guess in the intelligence world is you're just a baby. Right. You're a wee little baby. Right. And I'm 34, but, but you're not in the intelligence world. In I, fact, many would argue, hmm, hmm. There's a certain lack of, but you're, you're I just over to finish it, yeah. the thought. Go ahead. No, but so I guess the problem is Trump's overruling <clears throat> a general yeah. who has eons of experience and eons of years in, in doing the intelligence world, right. and he's trying to get rid of a guy that doesn't know much. And then the guy he kept ends up being a guy that might be part is, of this problem. Is the president feeding the national, the yeah. uh, the the House Intelligence Committee information? What's going on here? And that these are more questions that they won't answer, mm. which just leads to more questions. And this is crazy. I don't know. So, okay. other news: President Trump's Secretary of State Tillerson, Rex Tillerson, has been so cut off from his own diplomats during his tenure that employees have been told not to speak directly to him or make eye contact. Oh my heavens! According to a new report out of the Washington Post, the former Exxon Mobil chief. Chief executive reportedly takes a private elevator to his office, and he is rarely seen by State Department workers, including higher-level diplomats. Many have told the Post that they've never even met him. Sounds like Jeff. Yeah, he's so just reclusive. Remember when everyone said, Jeff said, remember when you told everybody not to look in your eyes? What was that about? <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> no eye contact. Do you remember? You're like, don't look at my eyes. That was weird. And finally, Crayola's... People tend to get lost in them, so <laughs> I just want to watch out Because they're them. dreamy. Finally, Crayola's new 24-pack won't include the color... What? Dandelion. 
Really? Yeah. The crayon making, the company, they made the announcement yesterday, the golden yellow crayon, an iconic color in, Cray- in Crayola's uh, classic pack, yeah. Dandelion. It, it, it's classic. Pack. It was introduced in the 90s. I thought, wouldn't it be yellow? Wouldn't that be the no. classic color, yellow? Why does no, it be classic ca- would be like classic, probably like a, yeah, like the classic cars, those yeah. colors that would be on a classic type of car maybe. So classic would be what year, would you say, would be a classic car? Something 50s. from the 90s? No. Oh, so maybe the color yellow would be something no. classic. No, dandelion. <laughs> Aren't you looking for a dandelion colored car? Yes, they're so hard to find. Crayola is giving it a day before it announces which crayon will step up as dandelion's replacement. The big reveal, reveal will happen Friday which is National Crayon Day, as we talked about, and the event in New York City's Times Square that will be live-streamed on Facebook. Wow, this is so a big deal. want to waste some time today. These colors are leaving faster than people in Trump's cabinet. <laughs> I think Trump's cabinet's in the lead, isn't it? Yeah. No, they've only had one. Do you guys remember playing with dandelions as a little kid? My mom had a baby and his head popped off. Do you yeah. remember that? yeah. So my mom tried to teach us so we could go pick the weeds. My mom used to get mad when we'd pretend like we'd pop her head off with a dandelion. Like, don't mess with my head. Did you have like voodoo dandelions or oh, something? Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. Did you did did you guys ever have to go pull dandelions hmm? with the special dandelion tool? Yeah, I told my the, hand. No, no. The no, dandelion no. picker isn't that what it's yeah. called? I think they call it the dandelion quicker picker upper. My dad, mm. my dad didn't have the, the tool. He had like three kids, so he had six yeah. pairs of hands to go out and take. So care of you, things. you, yeah, you were like your, you were well, like a tool. He also just fertilized. So, oh, what a good dad! <laughs> yeah, you just use some pesticide and not yeah. pesticide, but, you know, weed killer. We didn't do that. I also uh, used to mow my lawn with a because my mom worked for the Hoover Company. Mm. Who Hoover? Oh, so we got a really good deal um, on Sunbeam products, I guess. Okay, from. Sears. Mm-hmm. So my mom bought a lawn vacuum, basically. It was a lawn mower that was electric. Okay. And I mowed. <laughs> Those are fun. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Don't run over the cord. <laughs> Why? Are, yeah, totally. Why are you laughing? No, no reason. So I would just go. It felt like I was vacuuming the lawn. Hmm. It cut incredibly well, as long as the grass was like only a quarter of an inch long. And within... Whatever length of the electrical cord. Yeah, the, the cord became cord. a problem because yeah. I probably went through three cords my first year. You ran over it. Oops. <laughs> uh, sorry, Matt. That sucks. Thank you for caring. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, that was a joke. I've I've cut my cord with my uh, hedge trimmer. Did you? Yeah. When you fell off your ladder? No, no, no. no. This was in the past, but it like you know tripped the, sh- the circuit breaker in the house. My You're, wife like. What did happened? you get electrocuted? Um, no, but there was a spark. I know this guy once. I know this guy once that plugged in a plug that it was it was a new plug that he was trying to hook to his washer or dryer, hmm. but the plug wasn't attached to the washer or dryer yet. Oh, but he wanted to see if it would fit, okay. so he plugged it in, and you know could have died. Yeah, those are dangerous. Um, it's um, kind of it's just crazy, Matt. What? I'm right here. Sorry. That just got awkward. I, I think you kept it pretty generic. I I, 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 there's no reason he had to say anything. Yeah, he could have just sat there silently. No one would have known. Yeah. Well. But it, it was kind of dumb. Yeah. 
There's probably like Could a have warning. Done to say that? Yes, it was. There's I probably agree. a warning somewhere maybe on the actual plug or in a yeah. instruction manual. Well, even or, just in common sense. Well, there's that. Because where's that electricity going to go? In you. Yeah. Possibly. I told you I was born with an owner's manual, but it was written in Chinese. <laughs> Darn it. Okay. Well, luckily we'll be talking about health care for you today. See if we can't make sure you live longer because you've got health care. We're going to tackle it, folks. The, one of the biggest issues we can talk about as far as complication goes, health care promises. Are there some ways that uh, Republicans and Democrats could come together? That's up next. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, repeal and replace, that's what we keep hearing about uh, with the GOP trying to repeal Obamacare, um, the American uh, Health Care Act, and Affordable Health Care Act. In the end, here's the problem. It's so much more complicated than, than I think even Donald Trump understood or any of us might understand. And so we wanted to, to get somebody on the show that could help walk us through a little bit, uh, give us some solutions, some ways that, that this might be able to be fixable, a way that maybe the GOP and the Dems could get together. So who better to help us with that than Anoop Milani? He's a professor at the University of Chicago Law School. He's with us today to discuss his four-step market-based proposal on how both Republicans and Democrats can keep their promises on health care. Anoop, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Boy, I'm telling you, complicated issue. Of all things you took on, this is this is a big one. Um, help us. How how did uh, how did a professor at the University of Chicago Law School uh, and a prof- I guess a professor at the Pritzker School of Medicine how did how did you get into wanting to take on this issue? Uh, yeah, so my, I'm uh, actually uh, an economist by training, and I do work in both areas, medicine and law. That's why I'm at those institutions. Uh, but much of my research uh, has been on the American healthcare system, uh, and um, I'm part of a cohort of uh, scholars, particularly health economists, uh, that grew up uh, after the kind of n- initial cohort came in that were much more orthodox about thinking about the healthcare system. Uh, and we were, were, because we were much less orthodox, we were able to play with some new ideas. Uh, grounded in economics, but not committed to the political decisions uh, that had been made uh, before us. And so we, that allowed us to come up with some, some new ideas. Um, and I think that's the reason why we took on this challenge. We think that there is a consensus uh, or the possibility of a consensus, at least among uh, health economists and maybe more broadly health scholars, about a, a better way forward on healthcare of the U.S., a little bit less complicated, a little bit more efficient, uh, and uh, also, if people want it, more progressive. Oh, interesting. And, and I guess market-based as well is, is part of the proposal, right? It's, it, 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 it works with existing markets. Exactly. Uh, and one of the problems with the existing market is simply that there uh, is a lot of price regulation, and a lot of the instability in the markets that you see uh, is a result of uh, efforts to uh, regulate those prices, to uh, fight against market pressure. Um, and I think that once we 
come up with a simpler system that's market-based that doesn't doesn't include the price regulation. What we'll find is you'll find more stability in the market. Uh, and if we are worried a little bit about um, people having to pay high prices, particularly uh, sick individuals or poor individuals, uh, we can make separate decisions about how to subsidize those individuals that satisfy uh, you know, our, our, our concerns or our compassions for those individuals. Mm. Now, help me understand this too, Anoop, because it is, I, I believe, about a fifth of our economy is healthcare. So this is an enormous, um, an enormous undertaking. And why, why would we want the government to be so involved in it instead of just leaving it um, up to, I, I mean, I could see that they might need to pay for, uh, for those that, that would need help. But why would we want the government to be doing this? You know, actually, uh, I have that very same question. And um, the reality is we're involved because uh, we care about the people that fall ill and we care about uh, poor individuals and their ability to afford health care. The problem is that in the past, our solution has been to interfere with markets uh, when there's a much more direct approach, which is to just provide subsidies so that these individuals can uh, purchase private insurance. Um, I think that would be a a much more straightforward approach that would keep the government's role minimal uh, just to what it's particularly uh, capable of or good at, uh, but allow markets to do what they do in a lot of other sectors, uh, which is keep prices as low as possible and encourage innovation. Um, And I think we can achieve both those ends, efficiency and uh, compassion. That's great. And and, um, so maybe start walking us through. And I know you've got, you know, some steps, some some key kind of proposals or principles to it. Uh, Help us start taking some of them on. Um, Like like how do you, for example, uh, how do you even start here? Because we already have certain things that have started, right? Medicare, Medicaid, some of these are already underway, and it seems like we're trying to mix a bunch of baskets here. Um, Talk about how we would clear the deck. Great. uh, That's a great question. So I think what you have to start out by is understanding what our current system is very briefly. So 30 seconds on that. We have a a three-part, a four-part system in the United States. The very poor pe- poorest of people get help through a program called Medicaid, which basically provides free medical care. Uh, it is a health insurance program, but that the government pays for. Uh, that's up until um, roughly uh, a family income of about um, uh, $30,000. Uh, and then above that, uh, sorry, the individual income above $30,000. Above that, uh, you have a, um, a program under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare uh, where you get to participate in state uh, health insurance exchanges. You purchase your insurance there, and your premiums are subsidized by the federal government. Uh, those are called premium subsidies. That works until you get to about um, something called 400% of the federal poverty level. So take that, that uh, 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 30,000 number uh, and, and roughly multiply it by um, uh, three, and that's where you get that limit. Um, then above that level... Uh, there is no subsidy, but most people have what is called employer-sponsored health insurance. You get insurance through your employer, and um, there are some tax breaks for that. That is to say, you can pay with your pre-tax earnings uh, for health insurance. Uh, so health insurance is going to be cheaper than, say, buying a car, which you have to pay for after you pay your taxes. Mm. The last part of the system is that you have Medicare. So if you're above 65 you're eligible for Medicare, which is government-subsidized insurance for uh, the elderly. Part of that is paid for through payroll taxes you've been paying throughout your life, 
and part of it is, is subsidized by the federal government through general revenue. Now, we should just pause and understand how complicated that scheme is. <laughs> and depending on your income, depending on who your employer is, you're in a different scheme in a different uh, uh, employment. And it's, it's particularly complicated also from the provider's perspective because they have to pay a lot of different people. Oh, now, boy. Totally. Thing, yeah. So you want to simplify that. There's no reason why we should have this separate system for different groups in the United States. It's particularly bad for people on Medicaid because Medicaid pays lower prices than private insurance or even Medicare. And as a result, poor people, while they have access to care, they have access to lower quality care. Uh, and fewer doctors, doctors want it. Isn't this what's running doctors away is they're not making money managing Medicaid patients? Exactly. So while we're trying to help the poor by giving them access to health care, what we're doing is we're giving them access to subpar care. Hmm. And so I really think that uh, if compassion is your goal, you should really be concerned about the separate but equal, uh, separate but unequal system that we have for the poor. Um, so, uh, you know, the first step, I think, is to uh, make sure uh, most Americans, you know, we can put Medicare aside for a second because it's kind of the, the third rail of American politics. But, but our solution is not necessarily doesn't have to put Medicare aside. But for this discussion, I will. The first thing you want to do is just kind of clear uh, the decks. So get rid of Medicaid, uh, get rid of the tax break for employer-sponsored insurance. That's going to be unpopular, I understand, but we're going to replace it with something better. Mm. Once you get rid of that, uh, that will do two things. First is everybody's going to be in the same boat. And the second thing is that you've suddenly got a large amount of uh, government resources that you can redeploy uh, uh, for our program. So we can be uh, budget neutral or even save some money. So we would save money on, on uh, the expenditures on Medicaid. We would save some money on the existing insurance premium supports or, or uh, premium subsidies that we provide to the American Health uh, to the uh, Affordable Care Act. And we would also save money on the, the tax break that we're giving people for buying employer-sponsored health insurance. So that's step one of the proposal. Just simplify, get rid of everything that's there now. Now, I can already hear, just so you know, I'm sure you know this, Anoop, I can already hear, uh, for example, Democrats saying, oh, sure, beat up the poor, take away the poor's benefits. But you're saying, no, 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 it's going to come back. We'll have a system. There will be a great system. It's just we don't have to keep a system working that's not necessarily working. Exactly. Uh, And one of the problems that actually we've had is that we've always tried to tinker at the boundaries of the existing system, which is fundamentally flawed. Right, right. We've never had a good solution. If we want a good solution, you know, try to do what we can to start from scratch, but promise something to people where they're going to be roughly as well off or maybe better off than they were before. I think we can do that. That's great. So so let's get to step two. Step two is is, goes back to this basic idea that that you discussed earlier, which is – why don't we let markets do what they do best? Why don't we let them function? We don't do that now. Right now, what we do is we tell health insurance companies that they have to price their insurance products under a program called community rating. And let me explain what that is, because that's the fundamental idea here. So all people that join an insurance pool, that, that buy insurance, they're put into a pool, and they help each other. Some people, when they fall ill, the people that are sick are, in effect, paying for the care of the uh, – uh, sorry, when, when some people fall sick, the people that are healthy are, in, in effect, paying for the care of the poor, right. uh, of the sick. And um, now the question is, what prices are people charged? So if you join an insurance pool, what price do you have to pay? 
And right now, we require everybody in insurance pool to pay the exact same price. So that means somebody that is uh, uh, very ill, you know, maybe is 55 years old, is beginning to have arthritis, uh, maybe have a heart condition, pays the exact same price as somebody that's 27 years old, uh, that exercises a bunch, or is just healthy because they're youthful. And, and the difficulty with that is when you're charged the same price, that's a great deal for the older person or the sicker person, but it's not a great deal for the healthy person. So yeah, all these young, this is why the young people aren't, the millennials, these younger generations, they don't want to play this community game because they're healthy. So why exactly. should they pay equal? Exactly. And, and so what they want to do is they want to get out of this pool because they don't want to cross-subsidize the older guys. Right. And it doesn't help that the older guys generally have greater wealth than the younger guys. Uh, so it's not very progressive either. So they want to get out. Now, so how does, so, so uh, one of the key innovations of the Affordable Care Act is that they require community rating across the board in these insurance pools. Uh, and, but they realize that the, the young people want to get out, the healthier people want to get out of these pools, so they're not cross-subsidizing. So they pass something called the individual mandate. Very unpopular. It requires people to buy insurance. Otherwise, they have to pay a tax penalty. Now, yeah, that made people that, mad. That, that, and, and, and this is what makes the right so mad, right? Now you're mandating health care. You, by law, have to have it. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, community rating wouldn't work. Right. Now, the answer has always been, the kind of the orthodoxy has always been, look, let's figure out another way to get these healthy guys into the pool. But what we're saying is, no, what you should do is get rid of the pricing regulation that created the problem in the first place. Imagine if we could go to a world instead of community rating, something called experience rating or risk-adjusted rating. What does that mean? That means that when you go into a pool, the insurance company will determine what your likely expenditures are going to be on health care and charge you a premium that's proportional to that. Hmm. So that if you're an older individual with a higher expected uh, amount of health care consumption in the coming year or coming years, uh, you'll be charged a higher premium than a younger person. Makes sense. We charge a lower price. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And uh, one of the first things that would address uh, is uh, that the younger individuals don't want to leave the pool. They'll be charged a, a price that's commensurate with their expenditures. They won't be doing any cross subsidizing. Yeah. So you won't need an individual mandate. Love it. And, and that... yeah, and by the way, this is not something that we're unfamiliar with. We have experience with this all the time. Almost every other insurance product that you buy, including auto insurance, yeah, most totally. importantly, is experience rated. Right. right. If, if you have four accidents, you should pay more for your car insurance, your auto insurance, than if you haven't had an accident in 30 years. Exactly. Right. So that's the basic idea. Now, what they're uh, going to say, Anoop, you know what they're going to say. They're going to say, the left would be saying, hold it, because then the people that are really sick and poor, they won't be able to afford this, uh, they won't be able to afford the new rating, the experience rating. They won't be able to afford it, but you're going to have an answer for that. Exactly. That's right. So step two was switch from community rating to experience rating to eliminate the instability of insurance markets. That's just eliminate the price regulation. Step three solves the problem that that creates. So you're worried that uh, a person with diabetes will have very high premiums. Uh, an older person will have very high premiums. And I agree that that's the concern. That's where our compassion should kick in. Yeah. Um, but the way to address that is to directly provide premium subsidies for individuals who we think shouldn't have to pay higher premiums. For so me, those that are sick, uh, those that are poor, that couldn't afford it, we would actually pay, we'd help them pay for their premium. Exactly. 
Uh, and that's, uh, so, so we've constructed, and this is just a hypothetical. One of the nice things about our proposal is you could come up with a different set of premium subsidies. Uh, and, and that, I think that's a, that's a great benefit of this program and make it, may make it politically, uh, uh, more palatable. Uh, but for our proposal initially was let's just have a program where, um, poorer people get bigger subsidies, uh, and sicker people get premium subsidies. So the people that get subsidized the most, are people that are both poor and have a history of uh, health problems. Uh, the people that get subsidized the least are the wealthy, uh, healthy individuals. Now, why is this a better solution than what, um, what's under the Affordable Care Act? The Affordable Care Act certainly does have uh, uh, premium supports. It does it, however, uh, only on the basis of income and then caps it out at uh, roughly 400% of the federal poverty level. So I so said that's around that $100,000 mark. Um, we could actually uh, go further than that and give people above that level uh, premium supports. Um, and sure. the reason why we can do that is because um, the current system actually is spending money subsidizing wealthy individuals who are sick. Uh, that doesn't need to be that, – that's money that could be freed up to, to subsidize poor individuals huh. who are sick. So, 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 yeah, so now it could actually – instead of the – let's say that I'm not necessarily – I'm not in poverty, but I, ha- I make maybe $100,000, but we have a really sick family. Um, then the government could still subsidize maybe middle-class families with needs and others. Exactly. That's brilliant. And the reason it can do that, yeah. The reason it can do that, by the way, that there's there's kind of some money that's being wasted on the very wealthy. Right. So you take take a family that's um, making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, but the the um, the individual has say uh, a heart condition or has uh, arthritis uh, that requires some some constant care. Um, that individual today gets uh, a subsidy indirectly through their tax break for employer sponsored insurance. Um, and, and while it's helpful to them, it's not very progressive. It's not very compassionate. That's not the individual that I think we need to be supporting. If we could figure out a way to take that money and allocate it to middle-class families, particularly middle-class uh, unhealthy families, people that are sick, uh, I think that would be more compassionate. And our approach allows us to do that. It was critical that we cleared the deck, including of the, of the employer-sponsored uh, insurance tax uh, break, uh, and we adopted uh, this premium subsidy that was targeted directly at the poor and the sick. Love it. Those two steps allowed us to reallocate money to be more effectively compassionate. Boy, now now we may be onto something here. Now now we actually might be able to have some agreement. You can just still hear Congress people just fighting every inch of this. But uh, Anoop, let's take a break. Come back. And continue to discuss some of your ideas where, you know, maybe maybe we would actually agree where Republicans and Democrats could agree so far, clearing the deck, let the markets function, uh, figure out some type of a, a, a premium kind of payment payment, some some form of subsidizing the program for those that can't afford it. Um, not necessarily paying for those that that have a lot of money that can easily afford it and uh and, and create a little more mercy in the program as well. We'll take a break. Stick with us. Understanding healthcare. We'll be back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're, t- we're tackling uh, health care and trying to understand how it works. And Anoop Milani is working with us. He's talking to us um, about how we can do it. Again, Anoop is really an economist. He's also a professor at the University of Chicago Law School and um, is really put together a proposal for how Republicans and Democrats can keep their promises on health care. So far, he's basically said we got to we got to kind of clear the deck, meaning eliminate some programs that don't seem to be doing what everyone would claim they're doing. Um, and it, when we say eliminate it, it's not like you would go without. It just says during the process of creating this plan, we're going to clear the deck, not offer Medicaid per se, but a better version of it down the road. Get rid of tax breaks um, for state exchanges uh, uh, within under the ACA. Let markets function. Um, kind of let the market work its way instead of being maybe a community rating, which is everything's by community, which means you everyone pays the exact same amount. Go by experience rating, which is those that have higher needs, those that would use insurance more would pay more. But then it would be paid for by the fact that the government would offer some subsidies. They would subsidize your premiums, which would pay for the fact that if you have a very – ill family or problems with health care in your family and you need to use it a lot, then the government would step in and help you pay for those bills. The rest of us would just pay for what we need, which would get some of these younger people on the exchange because they don't need they don't need as much health care. They don't cost as much. And then that, that way more people would be in the pool. Now, Anoop, have I got it so far? Yep, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. There's, there's one last step that we would take. Yeah. I think disregard and would make health uh, insurance like other insurance markets. And that is for us to switch to uh, longer term health insurance contracts. So, so one criticism I think that you could you might make of our plan at this point is you might say, hey, hold on, I don't really like my auto insurance. When I get into an accident, even when it's not my fault, uh, my premiums go up the next year. And that really frustrates me. And I think that's unfair. And yeah. I think the, uh, insurance folks call that repricing risk. Uh, it's the risk that your premiums will rise when you have a, uh, when you have an accident. So that same sort of issue would arise with experience rating in health insurance. And so we ha- we should have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so we do have a solution to that. And it's a solution that economists for a long time have advocated uh, within their circles, but never has really reached public policy circles, which is long-term health insurance contracts. Instead of signing a one-year contract, which we do every fall when we have open enrollment uh, that is, uh, for people that are used to that, uh, you would sign a five- or ten- or even 20-year contract. Hmm. And one of the nice things about that approach uh, is that um, you would be priced, the price of your insurance would be set based upon uh, the price that the group experiences uh, rather than just what you experience. Uh, or at least a combination of the two. And what that would mean is that even if you fall ill because you've got this long-term contract, uh, your prices wouldn't rise as much. This is, by the way, the same sort of thing that happens with life insurance, where uh, many of your, your listeners will probably or their parents will, uh, will probably uh, be aware of this. Yeah. Uh, you can sign long-term life insurance contracts. The first time you sign, it's based upon your uh, – you, you do a physical exam and you do blood tests and your pricing is based upon that – but over the term of that contract, say it's a 10-year term contract, your prices are not based upon your experience. They're based upon the experience of the pool. And that gives them some relief from this repricing risk. Um, 
it is a contractual solution or a contractual alternative to government-mandated community rating. It's volunteer uh, and uh, has been shown to work in other markets. So that's what and, we would do. That would be the last step. And you tend to be more loyal. You tend to buy in more if you're if you're looking at it as a long-term proposal than a short-term proposal. Exactly. So, for example, another great area where we do this constantly is uh, mortgages for houses. Right. So when I when I buy a house, I sign a 15-year, 30-year mortgage, and I agree to pay that mortgage. And I understand the price of the house might go up, my price of the house might go down, but I still pay my mortgage. Hmm. Uh, and it's because I signed a contract and it's on me. Whereas when the government mandates it, then I feel very uncomfortable. I think it's unfair that I have to pay these prices when I didn't voluntarily agree to, voluntarily agree to it. So again, this is part of our bigger move to let's make it more like the market and particularly like other markets that we're familiar with. Well, and it Don't sounds make healthcare special. I love, and we're I mean we're all used to doing that. In, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh boy, that's like cable. Then I'm going to have to if I sign a three year contract with cable. I know I feel like, you know, that I'm trapped three years in. But I guess part of this is, um, you know, if you only if you sign five year contracts or 10 year contracts and you can lock it at a lower rate for being there 10 years instead of five years, that's a benefit. Exactly. Plus, there's competition. The reason you don't like your cable contract is because there's if you're anything like me, I have only one choice. Yeah, no, totally. I'm frustrated by that. And they can charge a high price as a result. I think our plan is fully compatible with approaches to increasing competition uh, in the in the health insurance market, whether it's, you know, uh, allow health insurers to compete across state lines, which the Republicans propose, or whether it's, uh, you know, stronger antitrust enforcement, which is something that that Democrats uh, propose. The the idea that we should have competition in health insurance is fully compatible and, in fact, encouraged under our, our proposal. And, and really, I, so I guess what you are saying, though, this could be – then we could go to any insurance company in the country and engage that insurance company and choose to do it on whatever terms, short or long term. Yes. That's great. Again, back to the some of the other hot-button issues, pre-existing conditions. They, I'm assuming you, 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 you'll get in with pre-existing conditions. Uh, you can, and the reason is because it's priced. In the past, health insurance companies have not wanted to cover people with pre-existing conditions because they had community rating. Right. If, you, if, you, if the guy that comes in is really high risk because he, he already has diabetes or she already has uh, uh, cardiac conditions, that's why you don't want to let them in because you can't charge them higher rates. But once you have experience rating, you have no reason not to let them in. Yeah. And, and, much and- less... People will pay it, right? We, I mean, I had a child with scoliosis that I would have paid it gladly. Just let me pay it, but don't kick me out. That's right. And and again, for those people that are concerned, hey, the the people that are in, that are sick, that have sick children, a sick parent, etc., shouldn't have to pay more, particularly if they're poor. That's exactly right. But we should separate out the pricing. The pricing should reflect the risk. From the compassion, and that compassion should be executed, should be acted upon through direct subsidies to the people that we care about the most. Yeah. People that have uh, uh, children that are ill, or parents that are ill, or or, uh, or a heart condition, or whatever it may be. That separation is very important. It'll simplify. Um, it'll simplify the healthcare system. Anoop, why why are these very commonsensical ideas not being implemented? in Congress and in their approaches. Why are they so complicating it? Uh, I think one of the reasons they're complicating it is 
you know, part of it is I'll, I'll, I'll blame a little bit our profession. I think that our profession, uh, and by our profession, I mean economists. Economists have thought about these issues for a long time. Right. And I think that their concern is that their simple remedies are not politically palatable. Uh, and so they've been willing to support things like community rating because they think that that's a best, uh, a good second best. And I would I would encourage them to go back to their first principles because the system has gotten too complicated, uh, and we're we're we have too many inefficiencies in the system uh, by taking these kind of ad hoc measures. So that's that's one part of the blame. The other part of the blame is the following: I think it's hard to do big scale reform. Uh, I think that uh, often when you have divided Congress or a, or a president that's not really interested in healthcare reform and that's not a high agenda item. You, you just want to tinker at the edges. And then what you end up doing is leaving the existing structure intact and mm. just adding on to it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's how we got to where we are. If you, if you look at every single part of the system, I can go back and tell you the history for why we added Medicare Part B, why we added SCHIP, why we did the Medicaid expansion, et cetera. But, you know, if we could go back to 1965 when we started with Medicaid and Medicare, I think we could have probably designed a better system had we know had we known what was going to come in the next fifty years, oh, and it seems like this may be the very reason why we don't want government um, controlling a lot of this, and instead it might be better to have some professors from from uh, your university, Anoop, just to have you to to help us along with that so well, we appreciate you. This is great insight uh, on a very, very complicated issue, and uh, Anoop Milani's his name professor at the University of Chicago Law School, economist. I I think the principles can be very, very simple. And then you throw in the political curveball and the history and the fear that people have of, you know, losing Medicaid. What if we lose the word Medicaid, but if Medicaid's not really serving you the way you want to be served or need to be served, then is it worth keeping? You can still have the same benefits or better, potentially. Crazy, crazy world we live in. Well, it's complicated, but honestly, too, it's it's good to learn about. We need to we need to think about these things more, just as average citizens. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, um, we got a little game I guess we're going to play, huh, Terry? Uh, We'll make it a game. We'll make it a game about my retirement? About retirement in general. But we'll use you as the punching bag for this segment. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So if you had the chance, someone would give you a million dollars for your retirement. Yes. Or the option of having 5000 a month for the duration of your retirement, which would you take? Five thousand a month. No, no, yeah, five thousand a month, and for as long as I live. So, like, you retire at sixty-five until you die, or a million dollars. Uh, well, it seems like if I could get, if I have a million dollars and I could get six percent return on my money somehow, that's about sixty grand. A year. Hmm. So it's the same thing, you would think. So which would you take? Could I get the 6%? Hmm. I think I would take 
I'd still just take the million dollars. I found this on uh, lifehacker.com. It says, the first thing to note is that these two amounts are roughly equivalent based on current annuity pricing. So as you said, in the end, it's kind of the same. Some people feel that a million dollars is more adequate amount of money than 5,000 a month. These people tend to suffer from the illusion of wealth because they get a false sense of security from seemingly large monetary amounts such as those appear when they check in their account and they see they have there's you know there's right. a good amount of money there it says they behave, they behave as if the million dollars is more than $5,000 a month but if i died in 3 years uh, the million was a smarter deal for you know like your debt and, you and know, my children your children but you know. my gifts from heaven yeah yeah which well, which would you do i would i would still do you want do the money i do the million dollars it's it's the same bird thing. in the hand yeah Better than twenty in the bush. Do you win the lottery and take the lump sum, or do you get a monthly payout? These are questions I take the people. lump sum. Get all your money now. Get what you can now, and then if I kick the can, or what is it? If I kick the bucket, it says the problem: an illusion of wealth can cause some people to undersave for retirement. It is, as they say, a false sense of security. Yeah, I've decided not to save for retirement because I'm going to get a million dollars someday. There you go. That's cool. Good lesson. See, we're all just learning. Learning, learning, learning. Okay, we'll take a break, folks. Hour number one in the can. Let's move on. Stick with us. Next hour, we're talking healthier mental health. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, um, we got a little game I guess we're going to play, huh, Terry? Uh, We'll make it a game. We'll make it a game about my retirement? About retirement in general. But we'll use you as the punching bag for this segment. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So if you had the chance, someone would give you a million dollars for your retirement. Yes. Or the option of having 5000 a month for the duration of your retirement, which would you take? Five thousand a month. No, no, yeah, five thousand a month, and for as long as I live. So, like, you retire at sixty-five until you die, or a million dollars. Uh, well, it seems like if I could get, if I have a million dollars and I could get six percent return on my money somehow, that's about sixty grand. A year. Hmm. So it's the same thing, you would think. So which would you take? But could I get the 6%? Hmm. I think I would take – I'd still just take the million dollars. I found this on uh, lifehacker.com. It says the first thing to note is that these two amounts are roughly equivalent based on current annuity pricing. So okay. as you said yeah. – in the end, it's kind of the same. Some people feel that a million dollars is more adequate amount of money than 5000 a month. These people tend to suffer from the illusion of wealth yeah. because they get a false sense of security from seemingly large monetary amounts, such as the, those appear when they check in their account and they see they have, there's, you know, there's right. a good amount of money there. It says they, beha- they behave as if the million dollars is more than $5,000 a month. But if I died in three years, uh, the million was a smarter deal. For you know, like your debt and, you and know, my children, children, but you know. my gifts from heaven. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Which, well, which would you do? I would I would still do you want do the money? I do the million dollars. It's, it's the same bird thing. in the hand. Yeah. Better than 20 in the bush. Do you win the lottery and take the lump sum or do you get a monthly payout? These are I take the people. lump sum. 
get all your money now, get what you can now, and then if I kick the can, or what is it? If I kick the bucket. It says the problem, an illusion of wealth can cause some people to undersave for retirement. It is, as they say, a false sense of security. Yeah. I've decided not to save for retirement because I'm going to get a million dollars someday. There you go. That's cool. Good lesson. See, we're all just learning. Learning, learning, learning. Okay, we'll take a break, folks. Hour number one in the can. Let's move on. Stick with us. Next hour, we're talking healthier mental health. Stick with us. If you love stories like we love stories, tune in to The Appleseed, Tellers and Stories on BYU Radio, Monday through Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. For a little of this... But he was a genius. He was an absolute genius when it came to tinkering with things. A little of this... One day he let me and my brother touch a bullet. And even a little of this... But to disappoint him was a terrible thing. The Appleseed team brings you great stories from great tellers just about every day on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. This is the BBC News. Hello, I'm Jonathan Izard. The European Union has published draft guidelines on how it intends to negotiate Britain's departure, in which it ruled out trade talks before outstanding issues are tackled. The President of the European Council, Donald Tusk, emphasised that parallel negotiations were not an option. Once... And only once we have achieved sufficient progress on the withdrawal can we discuss the framework for our future relationship. Starting parallel talks on all issues at the same time, as suggested by some in the UK, will not happen. The EU's foreign policy chief, Federica Mogherini, has said the bloc can manage without Britain's contribution to its defence operations. Speaking to journalists at a NATO meeting in Brussels, Ms Mogherini said the alliance's work would continue. Looking at the numbers, the UK contributes today only for 3% of uh, our civilian capabilities in our EU operations and missions and 5% to the military ones. So for sure it's a a valued contribution, but for sure a contribution without which the European Union defence and security work can continue uh, perfectly well. The US Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has urged NATO members to draw up national plans for fulfilling their financial commitments in time for the summit in May. Mr Tillerson said he wanted to ensure that NATO had the resources it needed. Meeting NATO foreign ministers in Brussels for the first time, he said they would discuss building on NATO's involvement in counterterrorism and its response to what he called Russia's aggression in Ukraine and elsewhere. The meeting was rescheduled for his benefit. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has joined a growing number of figures from the governing African National Congress to strongly criticise President Jacob Zuma's decision to fire the country's finance minister. Mr Ramaphosa said the removal of Pravin Gordon was unacceptable. Mr Gordon dismissed speculation that he had recently held meetings in London aimed at undermining Mr Zuma. Let me say emphatically and categorically that there was no such meeting. Now, if anybody wants us not to do this job, just tell us not to do this job. Nothing has to be manufactured in order to create an environment in which our integrity needs to be undermined. Medical workers in the town of Parachinar in Pakistan say at least 22 people have been killed by a bomb planted outside a Shia mosque. About 70 were wounded. Sekunda Kamani reports from Islamabad. 
The blast took place as people gathered for Friday prayers near the women's entrance of a Shia mosque in the city of Parachina near the Afghan border. The Pakistani army has sent a helicopter to help take the injured to nearby hospitals, whilst the Prime Minister has condemned the blast. Parachina, a majority Shia city in a predominantly Sunni region, has been repeatedly attacked by terrorist groups. Over 20 people were killed there in an attack on a vegetable market in January. BBC News. The latest round of Syrian peace talks are underway in Geneva without any sign of real progress. In its closing press conference, the main opposition delegation described President Bashar al-Assad as a war criminal and said the government side had been unwilling to discuss the possibility of ending his rule. The Norwegian Prime Minister Anna Solberg is to visit China next week as the two countries re-establish ties following an argument over the Nobel Peace Prize. China put relations on hold when the Nobel Committee, based in the Norwegian capital Oslo, gave its 2010 award to the Chinese dissident Liu Xiaobo, who had been imprisoned in China the previous year. Liu Xiaobo was imprisoned for 11 years for subverting state power. He is still in jail. President Trump has supported the decision of his former national security adviser, Michael Flynn, to seek immunity from prosecution in exchange for testifying about alleged Russian interference in the US election. Mr Trump said the investigation had become a witch hunt. A lawyer said General Flynn was prepared to testify before US Congress committees and had a story to tell but wouldn't submit to questioning without assurances against prosecution. Our Washington correspondent Gary O'Donoghue explains. What Michael Flynn is doing is pleading the Fifth Amendment, which is the, effectively that you don't, you don't incriminate yourself by what you say. And it is possible for congressional committees to grant a sort of privileged status to the, to the testimony that they take, uh, which then can't be used as part of a, a prosecution. Teachers at about one-third of the schools in Poland have staged a one-day strike in protest at education reforms that will reinstate the system scrapped before Poland joined the European Union. Despite government assurances, unions say they fear job losses. They oppose the abolition of middle schools, which take students from the ages of 12 to 15, and have been credited with an improvement in results since they were introduced in 1999. BBC News. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy World Backup Day. The day you uh, back up your all your tech. Get her backed up. We gotta We gotta figure out a way to make sure you don't lose everything. So you can back it up on the cloud. You can put it maybe on a hard drive. Little uh, portable disc. Little thumb drive. See, to me, I, I thought this was normal. You you thought this this is how what it should sound like? Well, are you backing it up on the World Wide Web like in the 90s? <laughs> no, this, this sounds this... a little advanced for the 90s. I don't know. It sounds like... This sounds a futuristic. Close encounter. Mm. Does this remind you of when that spaceship picked you up, Terry? Nope. And left you in the cornfield? It was uh, an electric spaceship, so there was no sound. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of hovered. Until it was a Tesla. Yeah, it was a Tesla spaceship. Uh, by the way, if you have the uh, the iPhone 
operating system. They just updated it. So I, I definitely recommend backing up your data, oh, then update the software. Because I've updated the software, and it messes up your phone sometimes. Ah, oh, brother. Also, if you're trying uh, – if you have an Android phone. Yeah. I, they just – recently in the last couple months, I think, they're talking about kicking out a new software. It's different with the Android phones. Again, back up your phone. If, you, if? if you're going for the new Samsung phone, oh, boy. buy fire insurance. That's right. Wear your fireproof gloves. Because even though they've tested them, I saw a picture yesterday. They have a whole facility in, Korea, in South Korea where Samsung tests their phones. They have all the Samsung 8s, the new ones plugged in, and they're going through fully charged, then they fully deplete the battery, then they fully charge. Oh, and really? Fully, yeah, yeah. So they're just yeah. constantly doing that. Surrounding them are cameras, right, waiting for something to happen so they can have it on, on record and see what happened. Those cameras are actually the Note 7 phones that were returned to Samsung. Oh, they're repurposing them as like security cameras because they don't know what to do with them. Smart. Yeah. Until you burn your building down. Until you down. burn your building down, yes. Um, what happens – see, I have this new phone that is really heavy and big, yeah. and I need both hands to work it. Yep. It used to be I could just whip my thumb around the screen. They used to use the word phablet for it, a phone tablet. Yeah. But they don't use that yeah. anymore because it's just a big phone. Well, isn't – I thought the PH – I thought that was like phablet, you know, like pho. Huh? Instead of pho. Yeah. Hmm? Huh? What? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I can't – I, but for some reason, I can't back up my phone onto the cloud. Yes. Didn't I turn that on and... It didn't work. didn't work? Okay. Yeah, mine has the same problem. Uh, it usually takes three or four attempts to get something to work. Well, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it should just work. Yeah. That's what Apple always says. It just works. That's why I just want the... See? I just want the old days. I just want to point out that sentence that you just said, speaking of the old days... I can't – I'm having a hard time backing up my phone on the cloud would make absolutely no sense to somebody 100 years ago. That's a great point. Or even 50 years ago mm-hmm. 20. or 25. But Can I hear 15? But if I had said <laughs> I'm having a hard time uh, making my Apple work, right? that wouldn't have made sense either. No. What do you mean, honey? My Apple doesn't work. No. Are, are you having difficulty with the big phone because you made a, a point of – the big phone, or is it well, just it won't back up? What I realized is I need to work out more because I'm I'm noticing that this new phone is it's it's heavy. Mm. I, my wife let me uh, look at her phone the other day, and it was um, so light, right, and fluffy. Mm. It almost just floated out of my hand. Wow! Like I I was expecting to put so much more pressure on the phone to hold it that I ended up throwing her phone. Oh wow! When she well, put it in my hand, you do have your wallet connected to your phone, and as you frequently like to point out, you have a lot of cash on. That's hand. a great point. Maybe it's more about my wallet. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. I feel better about that answer. It's not my phone. Hey, today we're going to be talking about uh, Crayola Crown Day. It's the, the day they're getting they're getting a, rid of a new color. They're getting rid of a color and getting a new color. We we learned last hour dandelion. They got rid of the dandelion color. And apparently, yeah, dandelion is willing to speak, um, but only if it's granted immunity first. That's true. Which means we all know he must have committed some crime or something because he'd only need immunity. Yeah, let's hear it. The very last thing that John Podesta just said is no individual too big to jail. That should include... People like Hillary Clinton, I mean, five people around her have had have been given immunity to include her former chief of staff. 
When you are given immunity, that means that you've probably committed a crime. Mm. Dandelion sounds mad. Sounds like Michael Flynn. Oh, I have a clue. What? What they're replacing the crayon. So they with. got rid of dandelion yellow. Yes. Which, if you remember, if you ever did the dandelion writing on the sidewalk, if you were just a normal child, you know what that yellow looks like. What's the clue for the new one? So this, this is from uh, CNBC. It says Crayola is adding a new color to its crayon box, but the company is keeping the shade and name under wraps until May. What? What about doing it on crayon day, like they said? What am I supposed to do with that space? On, on Friday, the company revealed via Facebook. So yesterday, they, they take the crayon away. Yeah. Today, they and then they announced there's a Facebook event. Mm-hmm. And you go to Facebook and watch, and it says the new crayon is in the blue family. Mm. Oh, boy. It'll be joining the 24-pack. It does not disclose the new edition of the Hue, but it says the fans of the brand will be invited to help name it. Do we need another blue? It just turns into a huge marketing opportunity. See, I heard that uh, Crayola wanted to keep everybody in suspense, and they're having a really, but really deep down, they're having a difficult time trying to replace Dandelion, and that none of the other colors want that position because they don't want to be associated with Crayola. Yeah, well, well, exactly. Or the one that displaced Dandy, the lion. Yeah. There's a video. They have an animated crayon, and it kind of talks about his he, – he shares his feelings about leaving. Yeah. And then it just shows him taking off. Did I they? Heard, <laughs> I heard that Dandelion only had that job for like a month too. Really? Yeah. He was gone after – before 30 days even. I heard, the, I heard the video where they took Dandelion out of the Crayola lineup – I heard that they actually had a bully, like a third grade bully, reach into the box where Dandelion was, pulled it out by the head, and then broke that crayon in half. Was this boy, did he have kind of an orange hue to him? Are we talking (laughs) about something different? No, uh, he didn't. Yeah. But he broke him in half. Because once you have a broken crayon, it's over. Now you just go into the bin. And I don't know if the boy – did the boy actually take him out of the box or did Dandelion leave on his own accord? No, no. The boy took him out. Hmm. And then they also had another video of another – a girl in the class eating the crayon. It was a brutal video. Stephen King-ish. Scary. OK. So we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Plus 13 things mentally strong people don't do. It's a, a counselor, a LCSW. She's been on the show before. Amy Morin will be joining us to talk about 13 things mentally strong people don't do. You know, it's going to give us some help there. Getting ready for my spring break. I want to know what those are because I don't want to do them. Right. So we'll have all that fun. Plus, at the very uh, sometime, actually soon, in fact, in a few minutes, we're going to be doing a little uh, creativity with Leanna Tan. We're going to go on a little tangent. But first to the headlines. With Terry South, the man that loves dandelion yellow yes, as a Crayola color. Terry, what's up? Russian President Vladimir Putin maintained reports of Russia's election meddling are fictional, illusionary, and provocative—I can't say it. They're lies. During a panel Thursday moderated by CNBC, when asked uh, explicitly if Russia interfered as U.S. intelligence agencies have concluded, Putin dismissed the allegations as falsehood used for domestic American politics— that different political forces employ to consolidate their positions. And then he goes, 
Just like what President Reagan said, watch my lips. <laughs> no. Uh, he Granted, that, that was George, George W. Bush that said it. Yeah, wasn't it Herbert Walker Bush? Yeah. Read my lips. H.W. No new that. taxes. And then he didn't get reelected over it. Yeah. Putin insisted Russia sees the U.S. as a great power with which we want to establish good partnership relations. Senate Intelligence Committee Vice Chairman Mark Werner yesterday during a committee hearing on the Russia interference in the elections had this to say. Now, it's, it's kind of a longer clip, but he kind of explains just what Russia did to us. Clip one. Russia continually sought to diminish and undermine our trust in the American media blurring our faith in what is true and what is not. Russian propaganda outlets like RT and Sputnik successfully produced and peddled disinformation to American audiences in pursuit of Moscow's preferred outcome. This Russian propaganda on steroids was designed to poison the national conversation in America. The Russians employed thousands of paid Internet trolls and botnets to push out disinformation and fake news at a high volume, focusing this material onto your Twitter and Facebook feeds. This fake news and disinformation was then hyped by the American media echo chamber and our own social media networks to reach and potentially influence millions of America. This is not innuendo or false allegations. This is not fake news. This is actually what happened to us. So there you go. That's what Russia did. That was did. very clear. So, for instance, Hillary Clinton had a health episode on yeah. that 9-11 memorial. Well, she almost died of uh, a fever from Uganda. Brain cancer, whatever. Yeah. Now, what happened, We uh, they said she was feeling weak. So you could either take what the campaign said or you start reading these things online that all of a sudden flooded in. Now she has Parkinson's. All these different concepts and what they feel is that maybe was one incident Russia saw that. These thousand people sat down and started typing away yeah. and just kind of flooded uh, everything with all these different stories. Right. And so you heard multiple different ailments. No one actually knows what happened. Well, and, what, and whatever you think of the Trump part of all of this or any of this, it doesn't matter. Russia still did all of that. Right. So all of that, we have data on. We have facts on. We have intelligence on. They did all of that. Yeah. Now there's other stories. Now there's all this other stuff going on. Yeah. So they're looking into that... Putin says nothing happened, but what's he going to do? Admit to it? Yeah, right. Uh, yesterday, SpaceX, using a first-stage booster that was utilized for a mission 11 months ago, uh, launched a communications satellite from the Kennedy Space Center Thursday. Shortly after the launch, the rocket made its way back to Earth and landed vertically on a ship in the Atlantic Ocean. This is huge. First-stage rockets huge. are expensive to make, typically uh, crash back down to Earth, never to be used again. But SpaceX wants to recycle these to save money. And keep using them. This was yeah. the first time this has been done, so it was kind of a big step in this. Uh, I don't want to brag, but SpaceX, by the way, is is a really good symbol of Generation X. There you go. Unlike what you're going through, Jeffrey, with the millennial age. This sort of Wrong. denialism. SpaceX next step is to figure out how many times they can use these rockets before they have to be replaced. That's awesome. So, just the idea of landing the rocket is, is uh, and landing cool. a rocket on a ship standing up. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, also, there's seemingly more opportunities than ever for writers in Hollywood between movies, TV, and new digital services. But if the Writers Guild of America is not able to agree to a new contract before May, it all could come to a screeching oh, halt. These writers. At issue, the WGA's three-year contract with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers 
is about to expire. The, the Guild requests are higher pay for TV writers, more funding towards health care. As historically been the case, these labor disputes, the catalyst can be traced to new technologies that have created uncertainty about the industry's business model. The last WSG strike, remember when that was? 2005 years ago. It was November 2007 through February of 2008. Uh. The Daily Show, the Ten Col- years ago. Daily Show and Colbert Report, along with the David Letterman Show, were delayed you because know of the strike. Jay Leno went with non-union writers to do but that. But it's because of these writers that we have Donald Trump as president. Well, in part. Right, because well, then when the writers all quit, then all of these other shows came on where we don't to, need writers. They went to reality TV. Reality TV. Right. TV shows like 30 Rock, uh, Breaking Bad, all versions of CSI and The Office were delayed. Oh, boy. Breaking they, uh, Bad in its first well, no, season, too. They had, they had shortened seasons. That's what that was. A number of shows were canceled. Yeah. That's where I come in because there were several shows. But then again, as I was reading, a lot of my shows might have been low rated, too. I bet they were. So it's maybe just a rating situation, but it made it difficult. But uh, the WSG strike complicated and was a deciding factor in the decision to kill the first attempt at a Justice League movie that had already begun filming in New Zealand. Yay! They were going to have that movie and they killed it. But Yay! now, don't worry. The current Justice League movie is already filmed. Oh. They're just editing it. It's going to be ready in so November. There's nothing we can do to kill that movie. No, that movie is <laughs> darn it coming that fast. Coming out. It's going to be great. Great for who? Me. So you, you get the Wonder Woman movie over the summer. You get Justice League. They were they were ah, booing for the movie, not for you. Just to clarify, good. you're a good person. Yeah. Just your taste in movies. Horrendous! Oh come on! There's also a Guardians of the Galaxy this year. There's well, see, now that's all different. Kinds of that's fun different. Movies. Guardians of the Galaxy is different because they have a talking tree fox. It's a raccoon. Talking raccoon. His name's Rocket. He's and got a, a tree gun. named Groot. Grog. Groot. 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 Yeah. Groot. Groot. Yeah, he says, "I am Groot." That's so cute. Yeah. That's a great show. Now it's Baby Groot because he died, and then he's oh, back. he's got a baby Groot. A sapling. He's like this tall, and he's still mad. He still has an attitude. I love Groot with an attitude. Yeah. A Grootitude, we call it on the show. A Grootitude. Hey, uh, <laughs> how much of your life is spent coming up with ideas? Whether it's making a work project deadline or turning in an assignment or just figuring out what to have for dinner, sometimes it can be draining to come up with new ideas all of the time. So one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to teach us all how to be more creative. Brian Vasily once said, Creativity is seeing what others don't see and showing it to them. It seems like we're living in a world where everyone wants to stand out and show off their skills, and the thing that often sets you apart from others is your creativity. But I completely understand. Being creative can be difficult sometimes. It takes a lot of mental stamina. But it could be what gets you a job, helps you stand out at work, and fuels your life ambitions. So I've decided to help you out and brought to you today... Five tips on how to get those creative juices flowing. One. Post-it notes. These are my best friend. In fact, I'm known around the office as uh, the post-it hoarder. Hold it. Okay, for accuracy's sake, she's out of the office. Let's see how many she has here. One, two, three, four, five, six. I'd hardly call that a hoarder. Anytime you open a drawer, folder, or book of mine... It's plastered with post-it notes. Seems disorganized at first glance, but it really does help me sort my thoughts. I think it's really important to jot down any idea you have as soon as it comes to your mind, because 
you'll never know when you need it. I have this post-it note on her monitor that says, keep it cool. I guess she didn't want to forget. Writing these little tangents, I get writer's block all the time. But then I'll find a post-it note where I've scribbled something on it months ago, and I'll get a new wave of inspiration and creativity. Doodling. All my notepads look like a kindergartner kidnapped them. They have scribbles and doodles all over them. Some of the most common are uh, trees, flowers, boats, smiley faces, and my favorite, literally just the scribbles. Like the motion of swirling my pen on papers helps relax my mind into a daydream. And I know that it sounds very unproductive, but one study on LiveScience.com shows that our brains are actually very active when we daydream, much more active than when we focus on routine tasks. So swirling your pen can seem meaningless, but it could sweep you right into a treasure trove of creativity. Pacing. I feel like my mind gets stuck all the time when I'm just staring at a computer for hours and sitting in a chair. That's when the useless daydreaming kicks in and it's really hard to refocus. Sometimes we need to just get up and have some new scenery so our mind can kick back into productive gears. I find that when I pace, it helps me re-energize my mind. In fact, anytime I'm on a tight deadline, I need to walk around and sort out my ideas in my head. Maybe it's something about the walking movement that makes them all fall in line. Councilheal.com says researchers believe that the physical act of walking may alter cognitive control of the imagination. I believe it. Listen to white noise. Okay, doesn't sound very appealing, but it can get really busy and loud in the workplace, even if you don't think it's loud. Every little thing you see and hear can distract you. And coming up with creative content for anything requires a certain amount of concentration and focus. So what I do is YouTube white noise soundtracks. I know it sounds extremely boring, but it actually really does help to refocus my thoughts and drowns out everything around me so that the only thing I can hear are the thoughts going on in my own head. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around, did it have a logging permit? Maybe I should go get more sticky notes out of the supply cabinet. feels like it traps all your thoughts in your head and funnels them onto the paper. Try it. Start doing something. This is sometimes the biggest challenge for me. Sometimes I have so many ideas that are only half cooked that I just keep pausing until more inspiration comes and I have more fully formed ideas when really what fosters more inspiration is just jotting something down. You'd be surprised how your fingers keep flying and your mind keeps creating once you just start doing something and give yourself something to work with. It's like daydreaming. Once you start, your mind takes that thought and carries it on a never-ending stream of consciousness. Well, if you write that initial thought down and add your fingers to the mix, soon your creativity will have turned from a thought into an essay or a piece of pottery or a beautiful painting. So don't be afraid of restrictions. When your boss gives you deadlines, parameters, themes, topics, there's no need to fear these. They will just help you foster your creativity now. So start investing in some post-its and uh, lose a few calories pacing around your office. It'll work wonders, trust me. And you'll definitely stand out in the office. Well, happy creating, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent.
When hard times come along and people feel stretched by the challenges they face, many feel like they'll crack under pressure. Our next guest, Amy Morin, wrote a book entitled 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. She'll explain now how we can face difficulties with uh, mental strength. Amy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us again. Oh, thanks for having me. This is... uh, this is, I think, so important because uh, I guess a lot of times you don't know how mentally strong you are or not until you're in the in the middle of the fight, until you're in the middle of the battle. Absolutely. And, you know, and then that's the worst time to start your mental strength training is when you're in the midst of a tough time, just like you don't want to try to do you any good if you have to lift up a heavy box and you start lifting weights three seconds before. Same with mental strength. You want to make sure that you're prepared for those tough times well before they even happen. And so we we hear so much about anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues, and we, I, I guess a lot of us would wonder if, is this something you can actually, you know, get strong about, or are you just already afflicted because you've been diagnosed? But you're saying, no, mental strength is something, even if you've been diagnosed, you can improve your strength. Mentally. It's really all about the habits that you build every day. And if we were to compare it to physical strength, again, just like somebody who gets diagnosed with diabetes could still go to the gym and work out and get physically stronger, somebody who's been diagnosed with depression or anxiety can still take steps to build mental strength every day. It's really about the habits that you build into your daily life. And it may make it a little more difficult, and it's a complicating factor when you have those things, but it's still definitely possible. Yeah. How did you come up with the list? You've got 13 things mentally strong people do. How did you come up with them? Well, I've been a psychotherapist for years, and over the years I saw that some people, even though we were teaching a lot of people the same tools and giving them the same skills, some people just seemed to get better a lot faster. And I noticed that sometimes it wasn't necessarily about what they did, but it was more about what they didn't do. When they didn't have those bad habits that held them back, they seemed to do better. And then I had gone through a series of incidents in my own life that really made my interest in mental strength become personal. When I was 23, I lost my mother. And then when I was 26, my husband passed away. And a mm. few years later, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And and it was then that I wrote the list of what mentally strong people don't do as a list to myself to say, hey, don't do these things when you're going through tough times because it's not going to be helpful to you. Oh, and and again, you could never have expected really any of those, and but instead you get three of them coming together. Um, let's let's get to the list. The first uh, of the thirteen is mentally strong people don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. And. It, you know, when I wrote the list, it was because that's where I was in my life, was I said, you know, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have to go through all this, and, you know, you know, other people don't have to deal with this much loss in their lives. And I was really starting to get in a place where I was feeling sorry for myself. I wanted to host a pity party, and I remembered that's not what mentally strong people do. And I think it's important to distinguish between normal grief and sadness as compared to self-pity, that it's good to be sad, and it's healthy to go through all of those emotions, but self-pity is beyond that. It's when you start to magnify how bad your life is and you think that you're helpless and hopeless. And when you get into that place, it's really then that you get stuck because you just focus on the problems and overlook any possible solutions or anything you could do to make your life any better. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You've got to ride the wave of emotion that you're having, but it's another thing to start, you know, making up the stories of how horrible your life is and kind of ruminating on it, I guess. Right. Another one is uh, mentally strong people don't give their power away. 
What does that mean? That's really about saying, okay, I'm in control of how I think, feel, and behave. And when you just figure that out so that you don't blame anybody else, it really helps you to empower yourself. Because so often I think it's tempting to say my my boss makes me feel bad about myself. Or we say I have to go out and do these things, whether it's I have to attend this family function even though I don't want to. But when you use those phrases like somebody makes you feel something or makes you do something or you have to do something, it implies that you're sort of a helpless victim who has is being forced to do stuff. But really it's up to you to be in control of how you think and how you feel and how you behave. And from the time we wake up until the time we go to bed, it's just our day is full of choices. And to just acknowledge, okay, it's not that I have to go to school or I don't have to go to work. I'm choosing to do those things. And there's consequences if I don't do them. But just changing your language sometimes and reframing it to remind yourself that it's really a choice and it's up to you to make the rules of how you want to live your life. And because that, that's so good and true because in the end, too, life's, life's changing. Everything's going to keep changing. And at some point, we have to, to, I guess, survive and to be mentally strong. There's changes we're going to have to make. One of your points is uh, mentally strong people don't shy away from change. Right, because so often I think that the world is changing fast, whether we want it to or not. And I see so many people who just dig in their heels and say, you know, I don't want anything to be different. But success sometimes really depends on your ability to adapt and to go with it. And But I think a lot of people, it's just really saying, okay, I don't want to make any changes because I might make my life worse. And because of that, that fear keeps us stuck in one place and it's hard to go on and, and create change because there aren't any guarantees that it's going to work out well. No, no, and and that it'll work out fair, and that it'll work out even. And um, one of the one of the things I notice with a lot of clients I work with uh, that are struggling a little bit, with maybe with anxiety or um, even depression, they tend to spend a lot of time worrying about you know either their future or their past, and a lot of times worrying about things they have no control over. And, and you teach that um, that that is something that will, I guess, kill you mentally and emotionally. Is if you're if you're wasting time and energy on things you can't control. We only have so much time and energy, and so if you can put those things into the things that you can control, you can accomplish incredible things. But it's so tempting to worry about what might happen or how somebody else might feel, or or if you're going to succeed, and all of these things, and to just figure out, okay, I, all I can do is my best, and. I might not get the job, even if I do a great job in the interview, but I can't change how the hiring process, I can only change my behavior. And when you really focus on the right things, you can go on and become much more successful and be a lot less exhausted all the time. Did you find it easier? I mean, I can't imagine what you went through losing three people as as soon as you did and really all very, very close connections to you. Um, but... I it's I can't fathom it, A, but it also seems like you then had the right, in a way, to just be you. Um, is it easier at that point to be you and just kind of tell everybody to leave me alone and and maybe be less of a people pleaser? Is it harder to be you at that stage? What What were you going through? Because a lot of us have these facades where we're trying to please everyone, we're trying to be what everyone wants us to be. But I can imagine when times get tough, it's easier. Maybe it's not. Uh, does it get easier to just say, everybody, leave me alone. This is who I am. Yeah, I found it for me, it was easier to 
to say, you know, I don't really care about the small things anymore or life is short and it's precious. And do I want to live a really small life where I didn't offend anyone or I didn't hurt anyone's feelings yet I didn't do anything? Or is it about getting out there? And naturally, I'm, I'm the shy, quiet person in the back of the room. And I wrote a lot of articles before I had written this one, but they were fairly sterile, you know, academic kind of things. And this really just sort of opened up a new world for me to be able to now speak to lots of people and do lots of things and to write this book and to say, it's okay if people don't like what I say, there's always going to be criticism, but that's okay. And so it's, you know, when you put things online, as you have probably seen as well, it doesn't matter. You could say the sky is blue and somebody's going to argue with you, but but that's okay too, that not everybody has to like it. And um, as long as I stay true to my values and I do what is important to me, it doesn't matter if not everybody's pleased by it. And I guess, too, the interesting thing about finally not feeling like you please everybody or have to please everybody, then I guess once you kind of work on you and know who you are, almost the weight of having to be a pleaser is released as well. So you you actually have a new freedom, which which remunerates or or pays you back just for being you. There's not that heavy baggage anymore. Right. And it's knowing if I'm okay with me, then it's okay if other people aren't okay with me because their opinion isn't going to change my self-worth. Boy, that's that's what we all need, isn't it? Uh, Let's do this, Amy. Let's take a break. Come back and get to more of your 13 points. Everybody, go check out our website, amymorinlcsw.com, amymorinlcsw.com. The book is 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Stick with us. We'll keep walking through a bunch of them. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Today we're talking uh, with Amy Morin, LCSW, and uh, she's walking us through her book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Uh, Amy's been on the show two or three times, I believe. And these these ideas, Amy, again, there's a lot of things um, that mentally strong people do do, but it's the things they don't do. That uh, that sometimes I think it might be an easier way to describe it. Is, is that is that why you chose to go kind of with the don't instead of the do? Yeah, you know, as a therapist, I'm so used to building on people's strengths and talking about all the things you can do in life. But I think sometimes we do people a disservice. It's like you're going through life with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And I really wanted to teach people how do you take your foot off the brake so that you can move forward faster. And so I really thought, you know, it's really about sometimes just giving up a few of those bad habits. And just like if you went to see a nutritionist to lose weight and they said to you, okay, eat your vegetables, well, that's helpful. But until they also say, and quit eating so much junk food, you're not going to make a lot of progress. And so I really wanted to go out with a book that says, okay, here's a few bad habits that we all do sometimes. If you just give up those, all your other habits in life will be much more effective. Yeah, so true. So true. Um, another uh, point you make is um, that uh, mentally strong people, they they don't keep making the mistake, same mistake over and over and over and over again. How do you how do we how do we stop that pattern? 
Well, the first thing is to first acknowledge that you made a mistake. We live in a world where I think it's commonplace to mask your mistakes or to cover them up or to make excuses, 101 reasons why it wasn't your fault. But when you do all of those things, you're never going to learn from them. So to just be humble and say, okay, I made a mistake, how can I now learn from it? And that's usually the biggest key to moving forward is just acknowledging, okay, that didn't go as I planned or I really messed up here. And whether you need to then ask somebody to forgive you or you need to take steps to repair it and figure out where did I go wrong so I can move forward wiser than I was before. But I think, again, it's in our culture these days, especially in the age of the Internet, to pretend like it didn't happen or to try to cover it up in some way. And that's what keeps people stuck. Yeah, no, totally. If you uh, if you look at your 13, the 13 things mentally strong people do, Amy, which which of the 13 would you say is 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 kind of the the maybe the easiest place to begin or the most essential to 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 make sure we master? Well, you know, I think one is that mentally strong people don't fear alone time. And for some people they'll say, "Well, I'm, I love to be alone." But then when I ask them, "What do you do when you're alone?" they'll say, "Well, I listen to um, the radio or I'm texting my friends or, and they're not actually alone. So sometimes it's just saying, how do I set, set aside 10 minutes a day to just be alone? And for some people that's about meditating somebody else. It might just be doing some yoga in your living room or writing in a journal, whatever it is, but to just get comfortable in your own skin and spend some time just thinking about your life. I, I think if we all spent invested a little more time, 10 minutes a day thinking about, how am I doing in life and what else do I want to do and how can I do better tomorrow? Then we could create much better lives for ourselves, but it's so hard to slow down and do that. Sometimes people say it's a waste of time or other people say it's just not possible. My schedule's too busy. But you really have to make time to do that. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and then we have all the other things that are there to occupy our brain instead of having to be with ourselves. We just go get online. We watch our Netflix. We do anything but have to kind of self-evaluate. Right. I talk to so many people who, you know, they can't sleep at night because it's the only time, it's the first time in the whole day that they've finally shut off a lot of that noise and their brain is now starting to process their day. And I claim people also that sleep with the radio on or sleep with the TV on because they just can't be alone with their thoughts. And I think that's so crucial to a skill that so many of us are losing in today's social world where we are so connected all the time digitally to just say, shut off the noise for just a few minutes every day. Yeah, take a breath, for heaven's sakes. Well, Amy, we appreciate you. Keep up uh, the great writing and the great work. And uh, and everybody, go to amymorinlcsw.com. That's the website, amymorinlcsw.com. And you can find out more information about her book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Great insight. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to do a little bouse in the house. McKenna Bouse will be joining us talking. Um, she always likes to give us little mind benders, little thoughts that is it possible that it, maybe it's the younger children, the preschoolers, those young kids that uh, can seriously impact how we think and how we do things. Lessons from the youngins up next. I apologize. Let's try that again. Welcome to Yeah, now. You can't, we can't have McKenna in without Bouse in the House music. 
She can't. She won't walk through the door of the house. Oh, her agent her says, meet. "Yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to be that way." McKenna, welcome. You got a little mind bender for us, huh? Yes, I do. So, if we want to be a better problem solver, we obviously ought to go to the seniors. Not, not necessarily. Huh? Where else would we go? Look at your three-year-old. Turns out toddlers may hold the key to, to problem solving. Yes. How? So. Have you ever spent, you know, amount of time, extended period of time, short amount of time with a toddler and in that amount of time heard more questions than you thought was yes. physically possible? Like it's time to quit asking the questions. Just yeah. go to bed. Preschoolers on average ask around 76 questions an hour. <laughs> if that that's more than a question a minute. <laughs> oh, it's so sad because we shut it down, don't we? Because like, they are just stop. going for it. Okay. Yeah, it can get a little annoying, especially because it's always in the form of, but why? But why? But why? And it turns out just that because because mommy said so, <laughs> because that's the way it is. Yeah, turns out though that that repetitive asking of why is really really helpful when trying to solve problems because what it allows us to do is to find the real root cause of the things that we're dealing with because so often the problems that we are dealing with aren't the problems that we actually need to fix. A lot of times those are symptoms and there's often layers upon layers of symptoms. Yeah, then you always ask, we teach our clients to ask why. Mm-hmm. Why? And keep taking each layer and go, so why does that matter? Next layer. Why does that matter? Yeah. Why does? Why do we care here? And just peeling those away until you get... The why question to... takes it. So that's so kids ask 76 questions per hour. Did it say how many questions adults ask in an hour? Um, it did not. I think that probably varies yeah. uh, just on the individuals. Well, yeah. Certain people never ask a question. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is very problematic. You're, you're not going to get problem. very far that way. Um, but there's something really to be said for the asking the why question a lot. Um Toyota executive Taichi Ono, if I pronounced that correctly. Sounds right to me. He um, sort of pioneered this concept of the ask why five times strategy. And that if you haven't asked why at least five times, you haven't asked enough. Chances are you could probably go farther than that. Oh, yeah. But at the very minimum, you should be asking why about five times before really trying to decide what it is you're actually fixing. I love that. And now you wonder if like uh, if our politicians and all of these people that are making decisions for us, are they do, are they even solving the right problem? You know, I'd say that I'm betting they're not they don't go through the why. I'd say that, you know, politicians, you know, our, ourselves, I mean, I think even if, unfortunately our doctors a lot of times, you know, you say, "Oh, you know, got a sore throat." Well, yeah. Well, here, take this. Yeah, you know, it's Things can get written off. I don't think any of us mm-hmm. are asking why enough. Well, I mean, Matt, because you could be getting sore throats because your air conditioning is blowing on you all night. Yeah, there's there's so many different things. It could just be a fact that instead of like, okay, well, here's some lozenges, maybe it's the fact that you're not getting enough sleep and therefore your immune system is low. Right, right. And, you know, you're just generally not taking – you know, good enough care of your body. There's a lot of let's ask Jeff why stuff. he gets them because Jeff gets he's sick all the time with like little sore throats. Little what's that about, Jeff? Why? Why do you think you're always so sick? Uh, if I tell you, are you just going to ask me why again? 
most likely. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Just can you answer that question? I'm actually not as sick as, as I used to be. But what? I attribute that to, uh, well, water, drinking more water. Oh, I thought you said well water. Um, sometimes, you know, if we have a shortage of water in our home, I'll, <laughs> I'll resort to well water. Um, no, I really can't explain it. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believing man, if you will, so I would probably attribute some of that to God. Making you sick. No, not helping me stay healthy. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so why why do you – what question do I ask for why? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. It takes practice, okay. this asking let's, why let's, question. Let's go, let's go to another thing. Let's go <laughs> to it's not the, maybe it's not why, but it's a variation of why just disguised differently. How – who, what, where, when? You just get the, okay. just the five W's in the and the. Here, here's yeah. another why. Um, so okay, so so why if it's not like the sore throat, why was it your stomach on Monday? <laughs> why did you eat the shrimp? Why did you uh. eat the shrimp, even though your body was saying, "Don't do it, don't do it." it smells weird. Out of obligation. Why did you feel obligated? Here we go. Because we were there. We were eating the chips and drinking their water. So you feel obligated like you have to buy something off of the menu. Why would you choose shrimp? Because I thought I would go with a salad and none of the other – I wanted a salad that had, you know, craisins and nuts in it. And that was the only one that did. Why didn't you ask them to substitute the shrimp for something else? Well, it was shrimp or chicken – but I like shrimp, and I'd never had a shrimp salad before. Okay. Why haven't you dealt with this people-pleasing problem that you have that maybe led you to almost die of food poisoning? <gasps> How did you know that I have a people-pleasing problem? Well, who else would eat a, a deadly shrimp plate? <laughs> not, out of out. Obligation. not that I never please anybody, but I have a fear of not pleasing, pleasing. people. Yeah. So whoa. why not watch whoa. this? Whoa. This is a mind bender right here. So why why do you feel like you need to please people even though it's so hard to please people and you know it might cost your sickness? Wait. Say that again? Why do you feel a need to please people? Hold on. Because, you just finish your sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm generally I, – I consider myself to be a generally kind person. I don't like confrontation. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And what? I want to feel good about myself too. So, so you actually feel that uh, if you can, if you take on somebody or have conflict, you feel you you would hurt them, but and you wouldn't feel as good about yourself. Yeah. Why? Why? Or where did you get that idea? <laughs> <laughs> that I would uh, well. I don't have to give you an example that you're probably hinting at, but no, I, no, uh, I'm just wondering that. No, I, yeah, but plus I come from a family of people that are so indecisive that we'll just sit around like all of our family gatherings consists of us sitting around in a circle <laughs> saying, well, what do you want to do now? I don't know. What, well, do, you what do you want to do? do? Yeah, it's like that it's scene the in the Jungle Book, book right? With the vultures. Yep. <laughs> and then nothing gets accomplished. We waste two hours. So I, I've actually – I'm improving on this. My wife and I, we've just decided if we're in those situations, we're going to make a decision and just say, if you guys would like to join us, please do. 
That's Otherwise, right. that's good. yeah, how, and then we don't way, have to worry about hurting people's feelings. And when then we get something done. Too. And how does that 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 works better? Yeah. Do you like who you're becoming with that? Uh, to an extent. Do you like that your wife? Why can your wife do it better than you can do it? Because uh, she's an accountant. She's a numbers person. She's very decisive and methodical. So uh, yeah, and she's. I don't. I don't want to say she's not concerned with hurting people's feelings. Yeah, but she just does but it better. She, you need to get. She she gets things done. Yeah, she is great at getting things. She's done. She's a doer. Yeah, that's good. I'm a thinker. You're a feeler. I'm a lover. She's a thinker. You're a feeler. <laughs> right? So you feel it profoundly, and she thinks it, and so she may not feel it as much. So I'm I'm the woman, and she's the man. <laughs> the so I wasn't going to say that. But why do you think you're the woman? I I I don't know. Oh, yes, I'm. Do. I don't really want to talk about it now. <laughs> now that it came out of my mouth, I realized that okay. was a mistake. That's good. Okay, let's back off of that. Good stuff, though. Um, yeah. But the, the thing, it does work if you, you – the word doesn't always have to be why. It's just be inquisitive. Yeah, right? and just pushing that question, line of questioning farther and farther yeah. um, because things are just always more complicated than we initially think. I mean who knew shrimp salad would take us all the way back to his childhood? Oh, I did. OK. Well, yeah. that makes – That was crazy. We about lost him. <laughs> See, the only thing we're missing in here now is a couch. I need a couch yeah. and yeah. like a, a a stuffed bear. Oh, and an invoice from your doctor. Mm. <laughs> you, will you, McKenna, will you put together an invoice? I can do that. I'll give you – I'll tell you what to put on it in a minute. But this good. is so funny. We were just talking about quotes. Yeah. And you told me – you told me a, a very high number that I really can't afford. Yeah. That's what we're charging you. Is this going to be covered by the new – you know, healthcare stuff. We, yeah, we're talking about in, earlier, in the first the hour. It's all about healthcare. You'll find out if my fees are covered. Wait, this isn't covered in my benefits. No, oh, I don't. This is additional. I don't have benefits here. No, you've got the benefit of being with us. Us every day. I have the benefit of paying you. Yeah, your fee. I mean, that's good enough for your health. It's a that very good thing. Right? Very good thing. Well, thanks, McKenna. You killed it. Bouse in the house. Well done. Thanks. Piece of cake. Um, I have to ask this question. Why would a Vietnamese man who hasn't cut his nails for 35 years, why would he let it go so long? It's kind of nasty. We'll get to that story next hour, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the final show of the week for the Matt Townsend Show. Today it's exciting because we will be talking movies. Jeff, of course, will be covering the media and entertainment section and portion of the hour. Talking movies with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. Also, we'll be holding a conversation about forgiveness in the movies. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Are there any movies 
with there was probably a movie called Forgiveness. Probably. Forgiven. Yeah. Forsaken. I feel like you and I need to have another we just had a session this yeah. last hour. Yeah, last hour we had a group. Which uh, I haven't been charged for yet, thank well, goodness. No, McKenna's putting the invoice okay. together as we speak. Well, maybe we ought to have another session where I we talk about forgiveness yes. and I offer you my forgiveness. Pardon? For for just things that have happened on the show. So where you offer me your forgiveness yes. for things that have happened on the show. That have come from you. I don't even know what you're talking about because I don't know that there would be anything that you would need to. See, last hour you helped me. Yeah, I helped Psychologically. Heal. Right, right. Um, and this hour I'm hoping that we can, we can I, heal a different way. You can be forgiven. For, I feel like I've helped you a lot for psychological damage that you've inflicted. What? But I feel like I've helped you. Like on Monday, I helped you heal from food poisoning, right? And on other days this week, I've helped you. I, I'm kind of like your springboard or your sounding board. I, I, you throw ideas to me, and then I help you understand if they're rational, if they're reasonable. So I help that way. I don't. I, I don't know where I would. I don't know where I would ever need to be forgiven. Hmm. Hmm. Weird. Hmm. It's kind of an awkward start to the show. Hmm. I didn't think we were going to start with forgiveness. Of... Hmm. Well, it is uh, Crayola Crayon Day. <laughs> For those that are keeping score. Um, dandelion out. Dandelion is officially out. Dandelion yellow. They announced out. today that a color of the blue family will replace it. A They'll blue announce hue. it in May because they're just trying to string it along. Boo! No more blue! Oh, I think they actually are saying blue. I think they're saying blue. They want more blue. So uh, I don't know why Crayola has to mess it all up. Right. I mean, how many people out there have sets that are intact and now they've got to go break the dandelion crayon? No, they break don't. it. You can just keep your crown. You're fine. Oh, no, no, no. I think they're being recalled. Well, You've got to send them back in, don't you? You don't have to do anything. Everybody send your, send your Crayola uh, dandelion colored crayons back to Crayola. By the way, that is the most disgraceful way that you can be fired from Crayola is to be pulled out of your sleeve in the box, uh-huh. ripped in half, thrown on the ground. And then given to some person to eat. Or shoved in some kid's nose. Oh, those are the worst. Those kids, by the way. Focus. Don't put the crayon in your nose or your mouth or your ear. Hmm. Just a little lesson from the Matt Townsend Show. It's also World Backup Day. Uh, If you've been thinking, hey, I really ought to back up my stuff, today's the day. Back it up. Get her backed up. Beep. Beep. Um, Clear. That's different. I just defibrillated it. Right. You don't want to do that to your electronic devices. That was for the, yeah. Hey, uh, we'll get to all that fun, plus some empty news from the Matt Townsend Show, MT News. But first, let's get to the real news with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the globe? On Thursday, President Trump broadly threatened to run primary challengers against members of the House Freedom Caucus after the ultra-conservative faction put the brakes on the GOP health care bill last week, claiming it was too similar to Obamacare. But Trump has apparently threatened specific individuals, too, according to Representative Mark Sanford of South Carolina. Sanford said that uh, Trump sent Sanford's friend, White House Budget Chief Mark Mulvaney, to deliver the message. The president asked me to look you in square in the eyes and say that he hoped that you voted no on the bill so he could run a primary challenger against you in 2018. 
Huh? That's what Sanford claimed that Mulvaney Scary. told him. Mulvaney. Was that his? Did this come from his son or from Sanford? Sorry, S- Sanford and Sons, different show, different show. Sanford claimed uh, this. The, what Mulvaney said Mulvaney had allegedly not wanted to deliver the message, but Trump insisted. I, I, I mentioned this to a couple of colleagues, and they said it sounds very Godfatherish. Sanford noted their point was that the approach might not work might work in Jersey, but probably won't do so well in South Carolina because they don't care about that stuff. Yeah, they're they not stand in... on principle. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. So that is a little Godfatherish. Well, the, the 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 precedent is the sitting president threatening someone in his own party. Again, you know, I'm going to run ads against you as you run. It's usually you do that to a Democrat if yeah, you're a Republican, right. not the uh, not Republican on Republican crime. And especially, it seems like a weird time to be doing it when his ratings are already falling and right. a lot of people are gunning for him already. And it's like what day seventy something? And, yeah, and you need yeah. you need the Freedom Caucus or the Staphylococcus. Yeah, to, to pass any bill in the future. Yeah. You need some help, and you he's need some help. alienating people. So Not yeah. not Sanford and Sons, just two, a little clear. Two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Heidi Heitklamp of North, North Dakota, announced on Thursday that they would be voting to approve Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch. They are the first Democrats who have said they are supporting his nomination. If Republicans can't get an additional six Democrats to support Gorsuch, they may resort to the nuclear option and eliminating the Supreme Court nominee filibuster. It seems like this is where Trump should be uh, sending people to talk to people. Right. That's the next thing on the on the list. But now he's already beating down Sanford. Yeah. He's fighting the Freedom Caucus, Hence which so. always works. Uh, an American Airlines captain safely landed a Boeing 737 on his own Wednesday after his co-pilot collapsed and Ugh, died I in know, the... That's uh, tragic. At the controls, the Federal Aviation Administration says the flight from Dallas was just two miles away from landing in Albuquerque when the captain declared a medical emergency. Medics boarded the plane after it landed without incident, but they were unable to revive the first officer. Uh, yeah, everyone's deeply saddened. So just the idea, that last night I'm watching the news and I go, that's why we have two people in the cockpit. That's, that's why there's a captain and a co-pilot in case, you know, one dies. Yes. Great, great insight. Should he have announced that to the uh, passengers? But the no. co-pilot is now incapacitated. No. no. Just stay quiet on yeah. that one. Keep don't that to Don't announce yourself. that and don't announce, hey, I've got an infection in my right eye, so I'm only going to land the plane with right. one eye today. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't say anything. By the way, I, I do want to point this out. Jeff Parker is one of our big fans of the Matt Townsend Show in Farmington, New Mexico. That's great. And so you brought up Albuquerque. But yeah. uh, Jeff, keep listening, my friend. Keep listening. I, I just got a letter from him, and it's... He's incredible. And finally, even before he won the presidency, Donald Trump fired off tweets at companies, reporters, lawmakers, and critics of all stripes from an Android phone that made experts come to fear is a major security risk because he's just playing around with an unsecure phone. Not an Apple? But it appears Trump has switched, at least for now, a new iPhone, a device he previously threatened to boycott in the months before the election. From the campaign trail up to the Oval Office, reporters have kept a close eye on tweets because if it was from an iPhone, that was his staff. If it was an Android, that was the president. That's how you could tell. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. Because there, there's some uh, software that'll tell you what kind of phone sent the tweet. I got an idea, though. What's that? What if you just gave him a pretend phone, mm-hmm. and whenever he texted well, on no. it, it would just go to Spicer's office? Well, that, that could work, too. <laughs> he has a secure phone and his Android. He actually is, like, yeah. kicking around two phones. Well, what if he – because I would bet he may not know – 
But what if we only like and then the the pretend phone actually goes to the White House, his secretary could. And then she would get online anyone that he's pretending to call. And right. we just – we let him think he's actually got access to the real world. But really he's just working through his staff. But he watches the morning news and the morning news waits for his tweets so they can talk about him and then he feels vindicated. So if they're not talking about it. But maybe the tweets would actually go through Spicy. Well. And then Spicy could control the message so he doesn't look so silly trying to spin it. Well. Yeah, I'm but just saying. Might he, be he doesn't idea. want a buffer. He wants to just have free, unfettered access. Yeah. In recent days, those tweets seem to be coming from an iPhone, though, from President Trump. Something's weird. And that's because, in the words of Dan Scavino, the president's director of social media, the president has a new smartphone as of March 28th. Trump has been critical of Apple. He now is using an Apple phone to tweet. For the next few weeks. Trump has a new phone. He has an iPhone. That's great news. He'll get confused and go back to his Android because he always had an Android before. Why would you change? Well, you know what? What's his name? President Obama had a BlackBerry. Well, sure. And then I think he probably had to change, right? Because No, no. They, they retrofitted a BlackBerry so he could just keep but I thought, away. Yeah, I thought BlackBerries were struggling trying to keep up. and They're, they're still supplying government and business. They're not supplying like, common everyday people anymore. So they're still out there. They're just so not. our government still uses BlackBerry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this surprises sense. you that the government uses data technology. Yeah, no. Okay. Uh, you've, heard the, you've heard of the VA, correct? Yeah. All their problems? You've heard of the IRS using yeah, yeah. computers that are 50 years old. Sure. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Not a problem. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? An audit. Not that's anymore. Sure. We talked about that. They oh, don't right. have the staff for audits. That's Actually, right. I read yesterday they're hiring uh, freelance auditors. To really? go out and get people who are uh, delinquent on back taxes or maybe to run just random audits on people. So they're they're hiring out freelancers oh. to go out and do Oh, it. great. Outsourcing audits. Yeah. Oh, scary. There's some work for you if, you, if you're in that sort of uh, that realm. So oh, I would to... love to audit people. <laughs> Walk in, drop the hammer. Bam. I audited a class one time. I think that's different. Okay. Just different. Um. Vietnamese man hasn't cut his nails for 35 years. Mm. Now he has talons, 21 inches long. Ka, ka. Yeah. The pictures the, the pictures show his fingernails. They're, they're long, windy, but yeah. they're brown. Of course. I don't know how you keep them clean. They're so huge. They well, don't... I don't know. I think the brown is just aging, right? Yeah. I mean, have you? Have you... I mean, because, I mean, the, oh, end, the end of the fingernail would be the oldest part of it, right? So, Jeff's yeah. clipping his nails. Yeah. Well, they're, I mean, they're not 21 inches, oh, but they're getting... I just got oh, one in the eye. If I don't clip them, I hear about it at home, so I've got to do this now. But you're getting it in the board. Is that why this thing keeps shorting? Yeah, that's why it's a little sticky. Oh, all right, I'll stop. Gross. I only stopped because I ran out of fingers to clip. So. Let's do a test, Jeff. Keep one of those nails, and let's just keep it in a drawer. Terry, give him your drawer. And <laughs> Why my drawer? My drawers are all busy. So are mine. Put it in Jackie's drawer. Okay. She's leaving. Yeah. <laughs> just just tape it to the side. Yeah. Because um, one of the things I want to see is if they go brown after about 10 years. Because mm. my betting is they'll start yellowing, then they'll go brown. Yeah, probably. I keep my nails clean, so I don't think it's going to happen. You don't think so, huh? No. And, you know, when I when I use lotion, I use a special lotion that gets underneath the nails and is full of preservatives. Like embalming fluid? He's embalming his nails. <laughs> this guy, uh, 
has these talons now. Such he's fifty eight years old. Um, how could he do that? That's amazing. Thirty five years. He hasn't clipped his his nails since he was like twenty two. Hmm. But it's amazing that they would grow twenty one inches. That do they grow that fast? I I'm kind of amazed they haven't grown more. Yeah, it's not even the world record. Do you know what the world record is? It's not pretty. His thumbnail is the longest at 78.7 inches, <gasps> followed by his middle finger at 73.5 inches. It's a guy from India, I believe. His right? ring finger, 71.5. His little baby, itty-bitty baby finger, 70.5 inches. So maybe they're not longer because earlier on he had a problem in his sleep where he would bite his nails. Yeah. Maybe Doesn't, that's it. How don't do you, you have to break a nail? No, I do bite my nails, but mine... Yeah, mine's not in my sleep. You were actually giving yourself a little manicure during the show earlier. Yeah, I've got to get – I'm trying to – I'm just trying to take better care of my – Does it um, go into project. how he sleeps in separate rooms from his wife because he's afraid that she's going to roll over at night and break his nails? Oh, no. Does it – yeah. Yeah. Is his, that in there? Yeah. He, this is interesting. Um, he gets his wife to bathe him yeah. and occasionally feed him huh. with a spoon to protect his precious nails. So you want to get out of work, grow your nails as long as you can. He doesn't want to bathe. You don't want to get your nails wet because they'll crack more easily. You know what I couldn't do? What chore I couldn't do if my nails were that long? What? You wouldn't want to mow the lawn. Yeah, I don't want to mow the lawn anyway. For fear that the nails get cut and ooh. My, my son's mowed out. the lawn yesterday. We've officially, you know, we're, we're now officially taking care of the yard again. Not we, but we meaning me and my team. Me and my people. So, your, your other Matt Townsend team. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the other one. Yeah. The ones I pay, the ones that I pay for everything. That team. <laughs> um, you pay for everything. I pay for everything. Right. Uh, this one reminded me of Jeff. A man carrying a sword dressed as a joker was arrested in Virginia. Police in Virginia have arrested him. Uh, The man dressed as the comic book villain, the Joker, reportedly carrying a sword. Spokesperson for the police said um, in the news release that they got several 9-11 calls, 911 calls uh, Friday afternoon reporting a man made up as Batman's nemesis. That man Terry must have called. With a sword, (laughs) which isn't authentic, doesn't stick with the character. I don't think the Joker carries a sword. Doesn't he carry a cane? Or an umbrella. Yeah, he doesn't carry a sword. A flower, a squirting flower. flower. Yeah. Yeah. There's no sword. This guy's not even playing the part yeah, real. not even authentic. But he did, they did get Batman's nemesis right. Yeah, they did. Good job, guys. A 31-year-old Jeremy Put- Putman has been charged with wearing a mask in public. Yeah, it's illegal in that state. Do you remember you when Jeff, you got, you got arrested for wearing a mask in public? Do you remember that? See, this is the kind of psychological damage that I'm talking about you inflicting upon me. Oh, like me exposing your secrets on the air? That kind of trouble? Well, you do kind of accuse him of things. What do you mean? You just accused him of of wearing a mask in public. No. Do you remember the phantom mask that he wore that whole week? He did it, but the way you said it, you accused him of doing it. You're the stating a fact. You're the only person that I know that just makes blind accusations and just hoping that one of them sticks. You're the only person I know that does that. Really? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. That's just that's crazy talk right there. So, um, but you got arrested for wearing a, a Phantom of the Opera mask 
for a week and a black cape, and then you'd break into song. Do you want to try that song right now? Well, I was arrested because I was wearing the phantom outfit, but I was actually singing songs from Les Mis. That was so wrong. Yeah, you cross, you cross. Um, Pollinated. What's it called? You cross. Populated. The, you cross genres, not genres, but you cross. I cross the streams. <gasps> yeah. Nerd reference. It's a Ghostbusters thing. Yeah, you don't do that. No, I, I, that's not even. That just was weird too. Anyway, we won't talk more about Jeff's phantom problem. Thank you. Les miserable phantom. I think you cause a combative workplace when you accuse him of things. That's not accusing. You just accused him. You said no, I stated a fact. You said Jeff, you did this. That you accused him of doing something. So I just say, oh, when he allegedly wore a phantom mask, would that make? Well, no. Do you know if he did it or not? I know he did. Okay, I saw then him I wouldn't say allegedly, but hey, be careful accusing people of things. I think the actual, I think the travesty wasn't accusing him. The travesty was that he was wearing leggings. Well, yeah, yeah. See, the funny thing is, not twenty minutes ago, you were just, you were just uh, saying how innocent you were and that you did not inflict any of this psychological damage on me, and here we are. Did you say something? Jeff needs a hug is what he's trying to say. Jeff, uh, Jeff, I'm sorry that you take truth personally. I will think about, wait, no, I just thought about it. You're not forgiven. Ah, blasted. Well, we will take a break, my friends. Up next, Jeffrey Liam Simpson will be uh, in cape and mask leading a great discussion about the movies with Rod Gustafson. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who's sitting right across from me. And... uh, He's just not lucky enough to be able to talk to our next guest, Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Rod is a movie critic and has been for a few decades now and is very interested in helping parents make wise, informed decisions when it comes to what they show them. Rod, thank you and welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Jeff. You know, that few decades remark, I want everybody to know, you know, like I was seven years old, really, when I started this. Yeah, well, really. you know, few I used loosely because that could mean two or or yeah. one. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that clarification. <laughs> anyway, welcome. We're, we're, always ta- we're always happy to talk to you on Fridays about the movies. And uh, there are two, at least that I know of, that came out today that you want to talk about. Yeah, there are a couple. And um, well, one of these for sure, you know, this might be one that that your family could have fun with. It's called The Boss Baby. And this is the Are you talking of, about Matt Townsend? Uh, yeah, Matt Townsend, yes. <laughs> I can see that look in, in, in his face right now. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of animation I went into wondering, you know, like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be like. But, you know, we like this more than we expected. It's actually quite a fun movie. So the setup is this. We've got this little boy. His name is Tim. He's seven years old. And he has been an only child for all seven of those years. Now, I'm an only child, so I know how this feels. You get all the attention. You get all the Christmas presents. Life is good. Well, guess what? Mom is pregnant. And uh, he, he doesn't even really realize mom is pregnant. And uh, 
And then a new baby boy comes home. Well, his world is turned upside down. But strangely, uh, this baby boy comes dressed in a little business suit, carries a little briefcase. And one day when Jeff is sneaking around the house, keeping an eye on this strange new infant brother, he catches him talking on his phone. And so it turns out this baby can talk with the voice of Alec Baldwin, of all people. And uh, and so he discovers this baby having a meeting with other babies in the neighborhood. And he figures out what's going on. Finally, the, the his little junior uh, brother confesses that he's actually been sent from Baby Corp. And him and a handful of other babies have been sent from this company. And this is the company in heaven that that delivers and creates and delivers the babies that come to earth. Not sure about that create part, but that's they just magically <laughs> are there. And, um, and they have come to earth to investigate why humans are deciding to, to raise puppies instead of babies. Now, Interesting. I kind of, Yes, and I really appreciated this concept because you know what, Jeff? There is actually some statistical data to support that this really is happening. Over the last decade, they have seen a huge increase in the number of young couples that are purchasing dogs, small dogs to be exact, and the number of young couples that are delaying or choosing not to have children. So it, as as strange as the whole premise is, there's a little bit of a, of a rooted in reality concept here. So essentially what this boss baby has been sent to do is to investigate this. And, uh, and I won't give away the whole story, but they do discover a little conspiracy that's involving a, 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 uh, a pet store chain. And, uh, and so, of course, they set out to unravel that. There are some very funny moments in Boss Baby, funnier than I was expecting. And, uh, and it, it really it has got some fun potential for parents and for, I would say, older children. I would go for maybe the eight and over crowd on this one, maybe even 10 and over. It does, of course, come with uh, a fair amount of potty humor. You're going to hear diaper-changing jokes. You're going to see diaper-changing jokes. You're going to see a lot of little animated babies with nothing on. In fact, uh, I, I, I chuckled one scene. There's a what we call a full frontal shot of a little animated baby, and they've pixelated specific areas of the baby to protect <laughs> its privacy. So, you know, this sort of thing going on. But for the most part, this is fun, benign humor. Uh, this movie is rated PG, and uh, and I think parents and kids could really enjoy this together. And it sounds like the type of movie that I could, uh, you know, really relate to because I'm the youngest and most loved in my family. And uh, <laughs> when I was a baby, I sounded just like Alec Baldwin, too. So I, I, I'm sure you <laughs> did. And I must admit, Alec just does a great job with the voice on this. You know, you just every time this baby opens its mouth and Alec Baldwin's voice comes out, you just kind of shake your head. It's even that. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. doesn't really get old. <laughs> so people that don't want a funny, wholesome family movie. <laughs> well, wholesome. <laughs> you did say there was some potty humor, but people that don't want that. What other option do they have this weekend? I think another one that a lot of uh, a lot of uh, teens and probably some older adults as well right. who older remember men. the uh, <laughs> sorry what was that older men 
probably older man. Yes. <laughs> we remember the animated movie. There were the anime movie that came out in 1995. Uh, it ghost in the shell. And this was, as I mentioned, originally a Japanese It's a Japanese uh, story concept. I must admit, Jeff, I know very little about ghost in the shell. Basically what I saw in the movie the other night. And this is the film that's starring Scarlett Johansson. And she plays a, a character called the major. And, uh, the concept is this, she, is a complete robotic person except for her human brain and this is an origin story so what she sets out to do as she awakens in this new shell so to speak her robotic body of course she still has her human brain and she is wondering what happened to her body how did she get here her memories have been wiped well she eventually winds up working for the police force of this uh, of this futuristic town the, the city sorry this is no town this is the city that really looks like the the blade runner it looks like times square and it threw up all over the blade runner because there is just neon billboards and everything else all over the place and that's what she winds up doing but she discovers that this uh, cyber terrorist that they're chasing she discovers as she goes through this that she really does have more memories than just the last year and that these memories are being blocked and so of course she wants to try and find out where she came from and who she is now the thing about ghost in the shell there was some one aspect of the story that i really did appreciate and that is the idea of what makes us human and the fact that humans have souls and robots do not have souls which of course has been explored in other movies um but this one this one does do a pretty decent job of um of illustrating how as we move into this future of artificial intelligence and everything else that human wisdom is still uh, something that cannot be replicated by man. And, you know, I did appreciate that. Now, I, I think what you were alluding to earlier, a lot of people have seen the trailers for this film, and it looks like this character is completely naked. And I suppose in some ways she is completely naked. But um, Scarlett Johansson, as she's in this robotic body, uh, it, it is all pretty much digital effects. And it really looks like she is in what you would call like a Dan skin or a, a, a form-fitting uh, swimsuit or whatever. There are no anatomical details or anything on it. So although it, it looks a little bit shocking at first as you go through the movie, it really is no different than watching somebody in a, in a ballet, ballet or dance skin or that type of thing outfit. Um, and in fact, the biggest concern in this movie really is the violent content. It is a very violent movie for PG-13. And I think that's how come they, they dialed down the sexual content. There's only about four what we call moderate scatological profanities in this film. Uh, the rest of it, the PG-13, the rest of it is the violence. And most of the violence is involving these android creatures. And uh, and there's this unwritten law in Hollywood that as long as it doesn't bleed or it's mechanical or it's from an alien planet, you can do whatever you want to it. And uh, so we see a lot of android limbs and parts blown off and that type of thing. But, you know, definitely this isn't a film for younger children. Uh, we're not recommending it because of the violence. It's unfortunate. It was a better made movie than what I was expecting. But, uh, you know, parents approach this one with caution for sure. Okay, so this this weekend our choices are uh, naked robots or naked babies. 
<laughs> You're right. <laughs> there is definitely a parallel between the two. Yes. <laughs> Rod, let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we wanted to cover an interesting topic with you. And you and I have cre- each created a list uh, about forgiveness, movies about forgiveness. And we'll mention why when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, and I'm joined by Rod Gustafson of ParentPreviews.com. We just finished talking about the two major releases that are uh, coming out over the weekend, Ghost in the Shell and Boss Baby. And uh, as Rod Rod and I talked about, uh, you can either see naked robots or you can see naked babies, so take your pick there. But uh, there was another announcement that just came out recently from the Academy of, uh, you know, the famous Academy of Motion. Oh, I always get the name wrong, Rod. Help Motion me out. Motion Pictures Arts and Scientists. There it is. It, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ampus. So, <laughs> so we, I think we all know by now about the big fiasco with the Best Picture Oscar mix-up where the accountants from PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, accidentally gave the wrong envelope to presenters Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. And, uh, you know, there was this big question of whether or not the Academy was going to have PwC still continue their relationship. And uh, we just found out that they are going to continue their relationship with them, which sparked an idea for me about forgiveness. So they're obviously able to forgive their accountant that's been with them for 30 plus years. And I think a lot of people need to remember that, you know, there there really hasn't been a mistake this glaring. There have been little hiccups throughout the years, but nothing this big. So they should forgive them. And so I was hoping that Rod and I could take a few minutes here now and talk about movies about forgiveness. So he's prepared three uh, to choose from, and I've prepared three to choose from. And Rod, why don't we just do them one at a time? You go with your third, and I'll go with my third and, and go down to one. Well, okay. And I, you know, I tried ranking these. It was really difficult to do. And the other thing I'm interested in seeing is if our lists match. So I dug deep on this one, Jeff. I, I tried to dig up some so that might be a little more obscure. Well, and so I, my I, first, I, I put some alternates just in case we did overlap. Ah, well, very good. I have funny. I did the same thing. So here's my first one I'm going to throw on the table. The Emperor's New Groove, the most oh. overlooked Disney animation. I love that movie. You know, to me... That movie is very much like Jungle Book. There are very there are only a couple of movies, Disney movies, that are just all about fun, and the plot kind of comes second. Although Emperor's New Groups seems to have a little bit more of a plot than the Jungle Book, but I love that movie. <laughs> well, um, what I really enjoy about the Emperor's New Groove, not only do I find it just crazy funny, oh, there, I, this is one of the most quoted movies of in the Gustafson home. But I also really appreciate the story of forgiveness in this film. And because it's a G-rated movie, it's very accessible for all ages. As we watch Emperor Cusco, who is voiced by David Spade, and this uh, peasant whose name is Pacha, voiced by John Goodman. And as one offends the other, and then the other offends back, and the two of them get stuck on this little jungle road trip. (laughs) It just really is its 
I just love it. And I think it, even though it's very simple, at the same time, it's it, it's funny. And the more you think about it, it really has got some great lessons about forgiveness and understanding another person's perspective. So I really enjoy it. Okay, so my number three is actually a TV show. I cheated a little bit, but oh. uh, it's one that, that got canceled a little sooner than people hoped it would. And it's a show called My Name is Earl. Now, I'm, oh, not, yes. I'm not putting this show out there as the cleanest show ever, and I'm not necessarily saying go watch it right now, but there are some themes here that are very admirable, I think. And I think this is a concept that could have carried this show on for years because you have this guy who's not a very nice person who does mean and illegal things involving other people, and he doesn't have a good relationship with his wife, and it turns out his wife cheats on him. So this is going really well so far, by the way. And uh, But he gets in a car accident, <laughs> inherits some money because he wins a lottery ticket, and he decides that uh, the accident was karma's way of, of showing him that he needs to improve his life. Mm-hmm. So he makes a list of all of the bad things that he's done throughout his life. And every episode, he goes through that list and crosses off one of those things. And at times, it's a really a heartwarming show. But like I said, you know, it is crude at times, but uh, the concept and the themes are very admirable, I think. So that's my number three. Yeah. And I understand. I, I remember my name is Earl. I understand why you enjoyed that. That, that Good pick. Okay. So I'm going to throw one at you that people are going to say, what movie is that? This is a movie called Smoke Signals. And this is a movie that was filmed on an Idaho Native American reservation. And uh, and this is a film starting Native Americans, which are probably the most underrepresented um, ethnicity in in Hollywood movies. I really enjoy this film. This is a very touching film about a young man who needs to try and set things straight um, with his father. And the two of them have been estranged for a long time. This movie is is very humorous. It's got some great um, comedy to it that isn't even, it, this is not an overt comedy. This is the type of thing that um, if you have spent time uh, on or near a reservation that you just understand what kind of life is there and that type of thing. And so it really portrays uh, Native American life from a very interesting perspective and it is a very engaging and fun and at the same time profoundly uh, touching film as you come to the conclusion of this movie. So this film uh, is rated PG-13. I think it released in, I've got 1998. And, uh, and really content concerns, very minimal content concerns in it. This is one of those films where I, I scratched my head and wondered why it got a PG-13. And I don't feel that way very often. Usually I'm more critical because the rating wasn't high enough. Uh, this one, I think, could have easily been a PG. But Smoke Signals, one that you'll, you should be able to find it on iTunes and places like that. Okay, Rod, we've got three picks left. Let's try to do this in three minutes. So I know, we're going too slow. <laughs> My number two, I put, it's, I can't remember if it was PG or G. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a movie directed by David Lynch called The Straight Story. Oh, you yes. stole my number oh, one. Oh, darn it. <laughs> 
Hold on. Okay. Uh, so I'll talk about uh, I'll talk really quickly about that one. Then, uh, so directed by David Lynch, it's about a man who I can't remember how old he is. He's got to be in his seventies or eighties. Yeah, I he, think he's like eighty years old or yeah, something. Yes. He finds out about uh, his brother is is dying of of cancer or some other illness, and he has not spoken with his brother in decades. And so he decides he wants to go visit his brother and have a reconciliation, and. The only vehicle that he has to travel to get there is a lawnmower. And this is actually based on a true story. Yes. And it so, is. and it's so nice throughout the movie to see how he touches and influences the lives of the people that he comes in contact with. I know that he, he has a run in with a, a girl that has run away or is, you know, kind of a delinquent. And I think he's able to have a positive influence on her. And uh, just a really very simple somewhat strange movie about forgiveness that you really ought to check out. This is an absolutely lovely movie and it's rated G and Alvin Strait was played by Richard Farnsworth, who was in the advanced stages of prostate cancer. When he made this film, he died the next year. Um, and the stiffness in his legs and everything else are real. Like he was in absolute agony making this movie. It's an incredible film. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I stole your number one. Oh, no, that's okay. I, I'm going to give you a standby number one, and I'm going to break a little rule here that we don't do often. This is probably the most rare movie of parent previews. We gave this movie an A grade, and it's rated R. And this is another film that I really disagreed with the R rating. It's called The Railway Man. And this is a very serious film starring Colin Firth. Now, this is not a film for children. I would say 16 and over on this one. But it probably has one of the most profound scenes of forgiveness I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, and this is a story about a man. Colin Firth plays a man who was a prisoner in a Japanese POW camp. And uh, his whole life he has just hated, hated the man that was running this camp. And so finally, his his wife, many years later, long after the war has ended, she encourages him that, uh, that he needs to go back and make amends, and he goes back and meets this man. Uh, I think it's one of the most touching scenes of forgiveness I've ever seen put to film. So the railway man now, I just need to explain, the R rating is for scenes of torture in this film. There's no, there's very little sexual content, some hugging and kissing between this married couple, hardly any profanity. It really is, there's a scene of waterboarding in this film, which sent it into the R rating. But incredible movie. And that's the only one that you mentioned that I have not seen, but I've always wanted to. Uh, just really quickly, one that I put uh, down was a movie called In Her Shoes, which uh, that was also on my You're list. kidding me. Oh, Very my goodness. Good. No. So this one's PG-13. It stars Tony Collette and Cameron Diaz, who are sisters. Yes. Tony Collette is ambitious, uh, you know. Very focused, driven woman. Cameron Diaz is more of a party girl who is not well-educated at all. In fact, there's a, a subplot in the movie involving her learning to read. Um, but she does something to upset her sister in a very, uh, very hurtful way, I felt, and very impactful mm -hmm. way, too, which yes. pretty much destroys their relationship or could have. And Tony Collette meets a man who is able to help her kind of 
forgive her sister for this terrible thing that she did. And Cameron Diaz meets a much, much older man in a nursing home because I I believe she gets hired on at this nursing home Mm -hmm. who teaches her to read and teaches her about life and really befriends her. And so they're able to make these changes, come together and and have this forgiveness. It is PG-13. I know that there was some promiscuity in it. but the the themes and messages in this movie are really strong and really uh, impactful, I felt. And some wonderful scenes with these two women with their grandmother towards the end of the film, and uh, who played by Shirley MacLaine. And uh, some, great, some great wisdom from older people in this film that I really appreciated. Yes, yeah, this was another alternate choice for me. I was debating on this one, too. <laughs> well, Rod, thanks, yeah, thanks for doing this with us. And uh, hopefully Matt will forgive us for going a little bit over. We know how he loves to talk to the good brethren <laughs> at BYU Sports Nation. But, Rod, we'll talk to you again and thanks for being on the show we'll take a quick break and we'll do just that we'll come back and speak with spencer and jeremy at byu sports nation this is the matt townsend show welcome back friends to the matt townsend show uh you are absolutely forgiven jeffrey because that was a great episode. Learning about forgiveness through the movies. Now let's go to two guys that never need to be forgiven because they never do anything wrong. Spencer and Jerem down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, I'm glad you got the new theme music for our show. Yeah, this is great. You guys spend a lot on this. A lot of money. A lot of free killer tracks. (laughs) We love killer tracks. Hey, gentlemen, uh, it was fun to eat with, it was fun to eat spuds with you yesterday. It was fun. But it was spectacular. It was fantastic. Hey, um, it, it was sad. I, I was sad to see Spencer have to run, eat and run. It is a sad thing to see Spencer run. I mean, he run- What? Oh, no. He had a baseball game. <laughs> he did. That he broadcast. Did it get rained out? I mean, did nope. it get wet? There was a rain delay, was but it, was it they cold? finished the entire game. Ugh. That was a little chilly. You have another one today, huh? Yes, sir. See, this is where you earn the money. I don't know that I ever earned the money, but... <laughs> I'm glad they think that I'm worth something. Well, you know what? That's ap- that happens to be the same thing we were talking about during uh, our lunch yesterday, is if Spencer really is earning the money yet. Yeah. But uh, we, yeah, we all agree. I can't help that conversation phrase, much. You hear the phrase, show me the money a lot, but you don't hear the phrase, earn the money. <laughs> show me the money. I earned the money. Hey, do you guys know what today is? Friday? No. The last day of It March. is Friday. Last day of March. Uh, Crayola Crayon Day. Why is it Crayola Crayon Day? Why is March 31st that day? it's a sponsored day? It's it's a day we... sponsored by Crayola? Yeah, today, sponsored by Crayola Crayon. Um, Today, just so you know, they made the announcement yesterday that they are removing the dandelion yellow color from the 120-pack. I know. I know. However... They are. They did say that they're not going to announce what color exactly, but they said they're adding a color that has a blue hue, and I'm betting it has something to do with Jerem's probably cobalt. Uh, cobalt. Yeah, it's Jerem's uh, tux kind of tipped everything over. Well, it tipped a lot of things over. Yeah, they're still talking like my about torso. it. In fact, I, I saw I saw Jerem yesterday, Spence taking your your suit back. That was very nice of him. Thanks for doing that. Was that was so it. nice it's of pretty him. Pretty heavy. I kind of underestimated. The yeah, yours was really wet. Why was yours so wet? It was uh, dripping. Are you talking about Jerem's or mine? Yours. Spence. Trying to dry yours outside, I think, was a huge mistake. That yesterday. was yeah. It rained. The after party 
that's right. Following the Y Awards was crazy. Outstanding. I, I yeah. don't think that a clothesline is going to work for no. us. I'll just say that right now. Okay. Lots of water. You, there, there was a lot of celebrating with water, obviously. Yeah. Pool it's BYU, time. It's BYU, man. Yeah, it is. Totally. Hey, so you guys. You get water bottle. <laughs> today you're going to do your show, right? So, so, so. What, what's, what are you going to be talking about? Today's exciting. Of course. Because uh, we'll, we'll tell you the trending topic in a moment, but we're going to talk to ESPN's Outside the Lines reporter, Tom Ferry, who went to China and profiled... Jimo Dashen, a.k.a. Jimmer Fredette, the Lonely Master. That airs Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern on ESPN. We'll talk to Tom coming up about the piece. It airs Sunday morning? Yes, before General Conference. How, in, you know what? ESPN, are, they're very smart to get a Jimmer episode on Sunday yeah. during and, LDS and Gimo, General Conference. Jimo Dashen will join us on the show tomorrow. Holy we'll be on cow. We're doing mm-hmm. a show tomorrow, yes. 11 a.m. Eastern yep. time. You guys are big league. Countdown okay. to conference. That's great. Is it on BYU Radio? I know it's on BYU TV. It's, I don't know the answer to that. I bet it is. Everything's on BYU. I bet it is. We wake go. everybody up so that they can pay attention this when is great. the important people start to talk. That's great. That's great. That's really good. <laughs> I know the That's feeling. Noon Eastern. Yeah. <laughs> That's very Just to be clear. Very Don't good. Like, just to be clear. Welcome to my world. Yeah. Uh, Great stuff today. Yeah, Jordan Pendleton, uh, former BYU standout and uh, turned trainer, will tell us which BYU football players did themselves the biggest favor during Pro Day. It's a loaded show. And what did we learn did we from learn? BYU spring football? It ends today. Today's the last day of spring oh, football. I'm be, An alumni day. Oh, yeah. It's sad to see it go, though. You know, it just went so fast. Oh, well. All right, guys. Sounds like an awesome show. I wish I could just, you know, be there, but instead I'll have to watch. Just snuggle up in your office mm. to that blankie yes. and listen to the show. I'm going to. It's okay. a done deal. It's four and a half minutes. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate you. Four and a half minutes. BYU Sports Nation. All you can eat buffet. Uh, there's really not food involved. No. Just in case anybody's like, oh, I want I think some. we all were. I don't want to create any problems. Hey, a smuggler caught trying to tiptoe into mainland China with 1,000 diamonds in his shoes. What? A young man tried to walk across the border from Hong Kong to mainland China with 1,000 diamonds in the insoles of his shoes. He was trying to hide it but failed after customs officers at a busy crossing happened to notice that the guy had a suspicious case of of the walking blues. The man was suspicious as he sometimes tiptoed. When he was found that uh, that they were, when he noticed that they were looking at him, he quickly shifted to a normal posture. A customs officer said customs um, said that uh, they found two hundred and twelve point nine carats of diamonds inside bags hidden in the insoles of his shoes. Customs officers at the Hong Kong border are always on high alert for diamond smugglers, though typically the smugglers think of more inventive places to hide their diamonds. You're walking on the old tippy toes. That's that's a dead giveaway every time, you know? Every time you walk on your tippy toes, Jeff, I'm like, what you doing? I only do it when, you know, I get out of a pool and the floor or the ground it's is so super, hot. super hot. Yeah. yeah. That's the old tippy toe. I'm just tiptoeing and running as fast as I can. The tippy toe walk. Uh, by the way, a burglar nets a plant, a single dollar as well. Police say a suspected burglar in Allentown, Pennsylvania, didn't get away with much in a recent break-in. Police said Michael Rosado Jr. broke into a closed business earlier in the week, and little did Rosado know the store's general manager was sleeping in the basement. 
When the shopkeeper found Rosado in the shop, he said Rosado was armed and had stolen $1, a $1 keepsake bill from the office. Like, your first dollar ever made? Oh, that's so sad. And a half hour after the break-in, police said Rosado struck again, breaking into a home by firing a shot through a window to get in. The homeowner said that after Rosado left, she noticed a plant was missing from her house. So he he had two capers and got a dollar, a commemorative dollar, and a plant. That's just pretty bad yield. What do you do with a buck? I mean, can you even get anything for a dollar anymore? You can get uh, a uh, cheeseburger at Wendy's. Mm, that sounds good. Sounds really good. You know what? Let's stop the show and go get one. Let's just end the show right now. Let's just do a little hero thing, then we'll be done. Do you think and... people will mind that we end now? No, we'll, let, we'll just end even in a minute, and then then we're fine. It's all good. Hey, uh, our hero of the day is an athletic trainer in Harris. Uh, in Hera is being hailed as a hero for coming to the aid of a referee who collapsed on the field. It happened during the second overtime of a district soccer match between Hera High School and Classen SAS Tuesday night. He didn't trip. He didn't fall. He just collapsed, and I needed to be there. Said Hera athletic uh, trainer Jeff Hargis about what was going on or going through his mind. Hargis immediately started performing CPR and uh, was aided by two parents from Classen. One happened to be a cardiologist, thank heavens. We were doing chest compressions, and and, uh, he'd take a breath, but he couldn't get a solid pulse on him, said Hargis. Paramedics would soon arrive, as Hargis and other witnesses said uh, the man started to regain his consciousness. Very relieved, said Hargis, but um, they were all full of anxiety. It was all good to hear him talk, uh, knowing that uh, they were successful in helping keep that man alive. So... To an athletic director and a couple of parents jumping in to save a person's life. Awesome, awesome example of just being there at the right time. That's why we do the show, folks, giving you the information, the tools, so you can just be there when people need you. Not always to save a life, but sometimes just to be there to help them make life. That's the show. We'll be back Monday. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. Until Monday, make it a great one. We'll talk again.